brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where sound effects occur. Uh, special bonus episode, I suppose. Yeah, a little uh, bit. A little, little extra one. Um, every year, the Academy of Motion Pictures, uh, the ones in charge of the Academy Awards. Specifically uh, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Arts and, arts, uh, it's not just like a whole bunch of movies like sitting in a boardroom. Like a VHS on a laser disc and a DVD deciding who should we vote for this year? Oh, shut up, Divix. You've never had any good ideas. <laughs> Three quarters. Are you okay? Oh, I'm fine. <laughs> Do you have any coffee? No, it's the Academy those, of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Those three-quarter VHS, those were awesome. Did you ever yeah. use one? Like, uh, you have, actually. Yeah. yeah like, those weren't for, like, for our listeners, those uh, three quarters VHS was like a sort of an outsized VHS, it was bigger than the tapes you've seen. It was typically used at, at like at TV stations. And yeah, things. yeah, they yeah. They would they would use it for broadcast. It wasn't like for commercial film consumption. Yeah, but they were like hefty industrial Huge. grade. Yeah, I love that. Even even VHS, you can get like these more like industrial grade VHSs that were specifically yeah. di- designed for video stores. Yeah, the so rent- would, rental ones that they could play yeah. them over and over again. And they would be a lot heavier. You yeah, could feel yeah. it. You could feel it. If you like have like, here's a VHS of Repo Man, hmm. but like you bought it in 1995. It feels okay. Here's the same VHS of Repo Man from video stores. From, like, 1983. From 1985. Yeah. All of a sudden, Hoo! Yeah. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I have... Uh, if if you are a savvy uh, thrift shopper, mm. you could go into a thrift shop and actually like weigh them in your hand and get yeah. the, the rental grade ones. You no, know it's a good one, man. and they cost the same at a thrift stop. Yeah, no, they're not. So it's like a, it's like a buck. Um, yeah, and I have a VHS copy of Return to Oz mm. that still has the original rental grade uh, sales sticker on it. So it was seventy nine ninety five originally. Originally, yeah. And uh, these days it goes on uh, eBay for like $300. I tried selling it. Nobody wants it. But, uh, well, uh, here's the thing. That's what it sells for if you can find someone to buy it is the trick. It's, it's, There's someone out there. There's someone out there who is looking for it. But anyway. anyway. But, uh, that, that's neither here nor there. Yes. We, we, we love tangents here. and We start yes, we on do. one. Uh, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences every year prevents its Academy Award nominations, mostly for feature films, largely for films that uh, people at home have at least an opportunity to see, if not... In theaters, then certainly on home video and streaming uh, after their theatrical release. Yeah. However, there are three categories uh, which are, generally speaking, uh, less commonly viewed, less seen uh, than the others. And those are the short subject categories. Best documentary short subject, best live action short subject, and best animated short subject. Yeah. Uh, those are all films that are, according to the Academy, they have to be less than 40 minutes long. That That's their rule, less yeah. than 40 minutes. Um, I I also know that there's there's a lot of these Byzantine uh, qualification rules mm. for a lot of these shorts. They have to play in certain theaters at a certain time. There's so. certain festivals that they have to qualify yeah, yeah. for. Uh, if you air on television before you make a festival premiere, you are disqualified, so right, you got to be right. careful... 
They go I, through uh, the proper channels, basically. I used to work at a movie theater here in L.A. called The New Art. It's up the street from us. And uh, the Academy Award shorts, or anybody who wanted to qualify, mm-hmm. would have to four-wall a theater. They'd essentially have to pay for the theater themselves. Generally speaking, yeah. And nobody had to go. Yeah, they just, just had, had to, to screen it. And yeah. so, like, screen in the middle of the day. Uh, maybe two people would go. Sometimes the producers would try to, like, buy tickets for themselves mm-hmm. just to sort of beef up the numbers yeah but uh yeah that that's it yeah you uh, said the play and this, in the is, theater, yeah. this is all a pity because i i think the short format short films just as a medium mm-hmm. uh is a, a wonderful way to tell a story yeah. or or make a documentary and i feel like there was a time in cinema history when these things would have been available theatrically more frequently I think we're at an interesting point for, for, for you're right about that because mm-hmm. uh, it used to be that when you went to a movie theater, you didn't just see a movie and some trailers, you would see a whole package. There would be an A feature, they would be a B feature, usually an entirely uh, separate theatrical length feature film, uh, usually with a smaller budget with not as famous people in it. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes as good or better than the A feature, but that's neither here nor there. But you would get not only uh, trailers, which were called trailers because they used to come after the movie. They would trail, yeah. <laughs> which would then be before the next movie, so that got kind of all muddled. Uh, you would also have newsreels. You would have short subjects, educational mm-hmm. shorts, documentary shorts, um, animated shorts. The short subjects were as available to audiences. They were as seen mm-hmm. as most of the feature-length films. What's weird for me is that short filmmaking is arguably as popular, if not more popular, than ever. Well, thanks to things like YouTube exactly. and TikTok and Quibi. But the Academy doesn't recognize them. So we have Quibi. Yeah, short form entertainment. Yes, it's, it's One of the most popular things in the world right now, Quibi. My point. <laughs> Qu- Quibi, made, Quibi edited their Quibis into a movie, and it's coming out this week. I know. <laughs> My point is this. Media, as we know it, and people who consume media, it's kind of dominated by short subject uh, uh, cinema, Mm -hmm. whether it's uh, narrative shorts, uh, dramatic shorts, experimental shorts, uh, comedy sketches, Mm -hmm. uh, documentaries, in-depth video essays, uh, just people are just experimenting with cinema and... It's taking different forms than we're used to. And I think every film lover and every film critic, and and I realize that a lot of us are sort of set in our ways to grow up one time when cinema was a certain thing. We really need to start paying attention. I recently discovered a series of videos that are incredibly popular uh, on YouTube. And I'm behind on this by several years. uh, Called Pool Rooms. I don't know Pool Rooms. Pool Rooms scared the honking crap out of me. Oh, is this the Skinnamarink guy? No, but it's similar. Skinnamarink is very much of an ilk Hmm. uh, with pool rooms. It's all part of uh, sort of short form uh, uh, media. There's one person who started it, but other people are making uh, installments as well called Backrooms. And the whole idea is they are horror movies about exploring liminal spaces. And a liminal space is a space where you would expect to find uh, people, a mm. population, something, something that expects to feel lived in, but is not. Mm. Uh, and it is deeply uncomfortable. 
and when presented in a certain way can be genuinely panic inducing because your brain does not accept it. Uh, there is a whole series called the pool rooms, mm. uh, which is about exploring what feels like a hotel, mm. a very large hotel, uh, where the hallways aren't quite right. And there's a lot of swimming pool rooms and the swimming pools are designed in such a way that don't make a lot of sense. Okay. And it is genuinely unnerving. <laughs> and I'm watching this and I'm seeing how incredibly popular and how many people are watching these. And I'm thinking to myself, A, this is why Skin and Rank is hitting as hard as it is because people are not unused to that. Yeah. A lot of people who are only watching conventional cinema are unused to Skin and Rank. A lot of people who are following what short form cinema is doing right now are actually well prepared for Skin and Rank. Okay. Uh, but also, it's slow cinema. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, oh, people, you know, young people have no short attention spans. I'm like, they're watching long form, like longish short movies mm-hmm. about walking down empty hallways <laughs> and really digging it. Yeah. Exciting things are happening in short form cinema. So I recommend checking out the pool rooms. They blew my mind yeah, and I'd, really freaked me out. I'd have to, I forgot what, um, mm. The, the, the filmmaker who made Skinamarink, like oh. he, he was making short films online, like on YouTube. Yeah. He, had, he had a YouTube uh, channel. Hold on. Forget, yeah, I, I'll uh, look it, it up. Where it was all... Um, it was people would describe their nightmares and he would uh, recreate yeah, it, them on exactly. film. Exactly. Like, yeah. So he, he, he was yeah. very um, experienced making nightmares, which is why yeah. Skinamarink feels a lot like a certain kind of a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, the Kyle Edward Ball... Kyle Edward Ball. ...did the him, movie, yeah. and then uh, the YouTube channel was called Bite Sized Bite-sized nightmares. Bite-sized nightmares. Anyway, but yeah, uh, uh, I recommend pool rooms, uh, but you can check it a lot. But in any case, my uh, son, yeah. who's seven, he recently mm. discovered a, an animator mm. uh, who goes by the moniker Ice Cream Sandwich. <laughs> nice. so that's, that's his name. He's, he calls himself Ice Cream Sandwich, and yeah. he tells these uh, like little six to eight minute autobiographical stories. Here's a time I went to Italy, and they're very funny. Uh, they're very well, very rudimentary animated. They're like yeah. Stickman, almost like um, uh, Don Hertzfeld, if you're familiar. Yeah. And uh, uh, these are things that you just, you want to watch them over and over again. Yeah. They're just that appealing. And because they're short, you can. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like, yeah, shorts, um, shorts belong to the people, man. Uh, <laughs> no, people are just making, if well, they want to make a movie. to the yeah. people, I think. And shorts are much easier to produce. Yeah. Uh, it's also a lot of people see shorts as sort of like practice for a feature when mm-hmm. they can they, be they can be formative of themselves. Well, I, I think we need to accept them as forms unto themselves, and uh, especially when you're dealing with yeah. maybe difficult subject matter. Yeah, uh, maybe if you're making a documentary film, as we're going to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe there's not 90 minutes worth of material. Yeah. I, I, I think we have to try to get out of this mentality. I understand for people who are maybe uh, career-oriented, and, and who can blame you? It's the world mm. we live in. Uh, the idea that there, everything is a stepping stone to something else. Mm. It is okay for a thing to just be what it is. It doesn't have to be a calling card to get you a Marvel movie. It can just be the thing. And some people don't understand how to process that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, anyway, there's incredible work being done in the short form uh, uh, medium. A lot of it is not eligible for the Academy Awards because it's done online. So, the Academy Awards is kind of working in this particular space. Mm-hmm. Uh, the short subjects are, uh, I believe, currently screening in theaters. This is this is a little later than we intended it to go out. Mm-hmm. But they should still be screening in, in theaters. Um, you can watch them there. Uh, some of them are available online. More of them will probably become available online. And we're going to review every single one of them. 
and we're going to talk about uh, which, just because it's the Academy Awards, in case anyone's curious about what to like put on their office ballot, <laughs> what we think is, is likely to win, but that's not the point. The yeah. point is to raise awareness of these, and if, for the people who will not see them, we'll tell you uh, what's in them mm. for, your, for your own uh, uh, edification. Um, they're typically interesting films. They are, like any other Academy Awards category, depending on the year, can be a little uneven. There will be good ones, yeah. bad ones, the, uh, uh, ones that are just trying to hit you in the gut and get out, you know, yeah. that old Academy bait kind of thing. Traditionally, uh, the documentaries, uh, and we've, we've talked about this multiple times year yeah. after year, they tend to be, like, the most difficult to watch. Because mm-hmm, they, they cover uh, very difficult subject yeah, matter. Yeah. Uh, and I think the short is actually a better spot for that because mm-hmm. do you want to watch two hours of a documentary about end of life care yeah. or, or are you okay with 40 minutes? I wasn't uh, okay with 40 minutes. 40 minutes pushed yeah, me to my limit, but then that's a phobia I have. So there's uh, yeah. yeah, there's, there have been multiple documentaries we've seen about end of life care, about uh, t- patients with terminal cancer. There's typically a lot of films in both the documentary and the live action shorts that mm. put children in peril. Yeah. Uh, you know, child soldiers and slavery, that kind of thing. Uh, so these tend to be pretty harrowing and they're a difficult sell as a result. I'm pleased to say yeah. this year's a little different. A little less extreme this year. Yeah. There's some tra- there's some difficult subject matters in here, but um, nowhere near there's... the sort of... Um, uh, the, the sort of trudging... Horror, Miser- miserablest yeah. documentary. Don't worry, there's, there's a place for that. We're not yeah. saying that we're we're that that, that yay, no, but, we're, but it's also uh, more fun to watch. Well, it, it's, you know, it's it's yeah, easier to sit through in some regards. So you know? yeah, the, so I've, I, I've made it my tradition uh, when I sit down to watch mm-hmm. these shorts. I always go for whatever the longest documentary is first. Yeah. And I save the animation for last because animation tends to be uh, there's a little hard hard uh, subject yeah, they, matter in animation. They, they've as had well, some very difficult ones, but there that's where you're bound to find more whimsy. Mm-hmm. They're, they're also typically a little shorter as well. Yeah. Um, so this year at the Academy Awards, I'm going to start with the documentaries. We're going to do all the documentaries in alphabetical order. We'll do the live action shorts in alphabetical order. Then we'll do the animated shorts in alphabetical order, starting with the documentaries. The nominees are go through the list real fast. Uh, the Elephant Whisperers, which is a documentary about uh, people taking care of uh, lost elephants, raising them. Uh, Haul Out. I'm not going to tell you what that's about yet. Because uh, we'll talk about it, but I don't want to ruin it right now. So when we talk about the documentary proper, because that's okay. a movie that kind of reveals itself okay, over time. Yeah. I think if I just tell you, here's what it's about, I'm not doing it as a service. So we'll talk about that in more detail in a minute. Uh, How Do You Measure a Year, which is a a documentary about a dad uh, who asked his daughter questions on her birthday on camera every year from when she was 2 to 18. And you get to see the entire uh, uh, sequence. Uh, The Martha Mitchell Effect, which is a historical documentary about Martha Mitchell. If you do not know who that is, you should. We'll get into that. And we'll get into that. Uh, And then Stranger at the Gate, which uh, in a somewhat unexpected way... Uh, is about uh, mass murder, mm. uh, but specifically a hate crime. Specifically hate crimes, and it's it's not as it, it's not what you think. 
But it is. Yeah. But it's not. It's an interesting it, film. It, we'll it, talk about it. It is, but it goes in like a, an unexpected direction at the end. But yeah, yeah it's, I'll, I'll say this: it's more hopeful than you think. <laughs> uh, so, but let's we're gonna go in alphabetical order, and let's start with uh, the Elephant Whispers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whitney uh, set up the Elephant Whispers uh, in more detail. This is set in a uh, national park in South India, where uh, a, a, a couple, uh, their a married couple, is looking after the elephants there, mm-hmm. and caring for them and kind of falling in love with the animals. Yeah. Uh, and in, in a very paternal uh, kind of way, in a parental yeah. uh, sort of way. They, um, uh, times are hard, uh, mm. climate change and, and all sorts of other, uh, bleak things are making it more difficult to just be an animal in the wild. And, uh, elephants are roaming from place to place looking for food and water. And as they travel great distances, the younger elephants are sometimes separated from their herd. Yeah, they, they just wander off, and yeah, yeah. The, this couple finds them and looks after them. And... Yeah, and uh, so over the course of the film, they raise uh, first one and then a second baby elephant. Mm. Uh, and it's the longest documentary short uh, we've got. Yeah. Uh, and when you're watching a movie about people taking care of baby elephants... I find <laughs> the thing that goes through your head the most is nothing bad had better happen to these elephants. What's going to happen to the elephants? Like, dear God, I know you Oscars. Well, <laughs> I know you Oscars. You would, we, you would uh, totally screw with us on these elephants. We reviewed a film recently called Wild Cat. I thought about yeah, that a which, lot. Which yeah. is also about a, a, a young man who's looking after wild animals. In that case, it's um, large cats to Ocelot. Or and not, the, not Ocelot. So, uh, was it Ocelot? Uh, it was, uh, but it was a, it was a, it was a jungle cat, and the idea was uh, they were trying to uh, raise them, uh, but also then rewild them, raise yeah. them in such a way that they can be reintroduced in the wild and not, be able to not domesticate them. and be able yeah. to sustain themselves within the wild. And the guy gets too close to the animals, and it ends up affecting his well, mental health. Well, we, we also learned that he, over the course of the movie, how he's been struggling with a lot of mental health issues, and he yeah. had PTSD, and he was a soldier, and he had. Uh, I think he was also struggling with addiction, if I recall. Um, I don't remember that part, but yeah. yeah. There's, uh, the, the Elephant Whisperer uh, has none of the drama. Mm. You're, you're waiting for the shoe to drop. You're waiting for, like, like, the poachers to come through. Oh, no, and then there was a big fire. Yeah. Like, no. It's actually just about how wonderful these animals are to have around. Yeah. And this great old couple... Mm. And I love them. They're wonderful. Because <laughs> they're just happy all the time when yeah, they're around the elephants. They just get to hang out with elephants all day, and they're great. Like, what's their job? And, and, I get to make sure an elephant feels loved. That's the job. And the, the film really anthropomorphizes the elephants. Like, it mm. tries to give them personality. And it doesn't have as... to try. Animals have personality. I, think I, I suppose just, so. It just centers on that. Yeah. So by the end of it, you really feel like you know these elephants. Uh, a, a bit. Uh, elephants are a little inscrutable to me. They're oh, like yeah. these, these big leathery pachydermicuses. Oh, they're uh, so sweet. <laughs> they got, they got they're little fuzzy little, heads A little and, scary to me but yeah. Oh yeah No I love elephants I think they're really cute Yeah, yeah. L- large animals uh, But elephants I mean yeah like, Any ho- large ho- animals horses, horses, cows, elephants Any are large little, animal little frightening to me. Just by the virtue of its size And the fact that it is Probably not domesticated mm-hmm. um, Could be dangerous yeah. Just even by accident um, But elephants are in my, in my experience Just you know Going to zoos and things And watching documentaries They, they, they have a lot of personality. They care for their young in a very sweet way. I find that the way that they communicate or at least interact with their trunk 
mm-hmm. uh, makes it a little easier to anthropomorphize them because it feels like an arm, like a prehensile, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, just a mode of expression, not just a mm-hmm. practical thing. So, um, I totally thought of the elephant. You know, I was watching this movie and I was literally thinking they they had one elephant. Mm-hmm. The elephant is raised. It's the only elephant they're raising for a while. And they get used to that elephant, and that elephant is part of the family. And then they add a new baby elephant, and that new baby elephant is very, very sweet, has a totally different personality, and the original elephant rejects it immediately. And I was like, oh, it's Luca and Dante. If you have two pets. Yeah, yeah it was, he, was, he was our cats. Like, these yeah. animals were our cats. And so I looked at those elephants, mm-hmm. and I saw my cat Luca, and I saw my cat Dante. So I, I glommed onto them very quickly. Uh, um, I it it's to offer a little bit of relief. There isn't that moment. There isn't the moment no. where the elephant like crushes them. No, or, or somebody comes by and kills the elephant. There is a moment. There's one shot. Um, I will warn you where um, we see. We, there's a bit of discussion over how the elephant herds are having a hard time and mm-hmm. you know, the, the forests are dangerous. There is one shot, and we don't see how it happens, of an elephant that you know nature and time has done some things. Yeah. And it can be a little upsetting to see, but it is just one shot or two tops. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not about the other shoe dropping. It's not about when something terrible is going to happen. It's actually just about how elephants are really nice, and we you know <laughs> like things are really really Should hard for these animals. It's hard yeah. to take care of nature right now in a million different ways, but it has value, and the creatures and the nature around us has personality, and it benefits from our love. And it's a sweet documentary. It's gorgeously photographed too. Mm. Lots of really wonderful nature photography in it. I, I think thought. that's probably just a gorgeous area they're living. It in. It doesn't yeah. hurt. That doesn't hurt. But uh. like they still filmed it real nice. Um, it's really really sweet. It is on Netflix, so this one's actually pretty uh, readily available anyway. Um, but yeah, I really I really liked this one. It didn't blow my mind because cute animals are sweet. <laughs> uh, isn't you know gonna you know. You're not going to change the world with that revelation, right. but it, it is nice and it is, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone saw a documentary short like this and thought to themselves, I should go into animal preservation. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be a really nice thing. So, yeah, I thought it was really, really sweet. Okay. All right. Uh, the next one is is of a theme. Uh, it's called Haul Out. It's, and all, it's also about animals. It's also about animals, but not in the way you expect. And I love, I love the way that this documentary is structured. Because normally in a documentary, they give you the information you need more or less up front. Yeah, there's, like, there's chirons or a narrator, some yeah, some kind of information. Like, here is where we are. Here is who this person is. Here's what they're doing. Here's the history of the thing. Here's the setup. Oh, there's been a ton of political turmoil in where we are now. Or, or oh, the, the wildebeest has always been a fascinating creature, etc. You're dropped in cold. And, in Hall Out. And, and uh, the actual revelation of the subject is a surprise. Yeah. And it we, comes we, it comes in like eight or nine minutes into it, too. Mm. So for a it's while... It's like a 35-minute film, yeah. For a while, all we are is we're, we're, we're in like a somewhat... We're in a very cold area on a beach um, in... It's, it's, in like, it's like Eastern Russia. It's like Eastern Russia. Yeah. Um, um, and there's one guy li- uh, in a shack... And he's just literal it, shack, just, like, yeah. like you could stretch out your arms and touch the sky, like, like like from the lighthouse, but there's no lighthouse, that kind mm. of thing. Um, and it's just him there. He's eating food from cans, 
And he just goes outside, looks in some binoculars, doesn't see anything, goes back inside. This happens for a couple of days. And then... And then there's a big surprise. He wakes, up, <laughs> he wakes up one morning and the camera follows him as he walks to a door. And it's filmed like Dorothy opening the door in Wizard of Oz. It's, mm. They chose their shot beautifully. Beautiful, like, I don't know what kind of lenses they use, but it's really low light, but Mm. you can, like, see all the textures and and the colors. Like, if if this was, like, a narrative feature, we would be impressed by its cinematography and saying Mm. it should get awards. Um, We follow him as he gets out of bed, and then he opens a door. Now, I'm not going to tell you what's in the door yet, because if you really want to see this movie and you don't want this ruined, skip ahead a little. Because it's really great. I had no idea what I was in for. And then he opened the door. And I'm going to tell you what it is. In five, four, three, two, one. He opens the door. Walruses. Hundreds and hundreds of walruses. Just, and like, and like, and not like in the distance, right on his doorstep. Like they stick their heads in the door when he opens it up. It's just more walruses than you could ever possibly imagine. Hmm. It turns out there are 90,000 walruses outside. Uh, this is this is a walrus migration route, and this is a, a beach where they notoriously stop to rest. Yes. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever driven up the coast in Northern California to see where the elephant seals hang out on beaches. During, I have. During, I like, have seen elephants. I have seen migrate, elephant yeah. seals on, on in the beaches. wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah they're, they're they're very sweet. They're very sweet. Yeah, they're enormous. Oh yeah, they're huge. Mm. But they always look very happy to be there. Uh, the, the walruses look confused to be there. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, what's up? What? Who's well, this guy? Like, there's, there's, just, it, it feels like someone, some, there should be some walrus like tapping a sign looking for mm-hmm. maximum occupancy. Just like, hey, some of you walruses got to get out of here because they're all over the place. And this is part of the issue. And we'll talk about that in a second. The guy, for, for a lot, the movie's not that long. It's like 20 minutes long. Mm-hmm. He looks at the walruses. He goes to the back door. This ties a lot of walruses. Uh, some of the walruses are getting in the, the the cabin. He tries to just he doesn't he doesn't uh, and nothing painful. Just takes a broom, just just kind of pokes them a little, like yeah. hey, <laughs> hey walruses, get out of here, walruses. Out. And then like and then as they're leaving, he says no one at a time. And then like two walruses get kind of stuck in the door, yeah. and they're just really annoyed. And he's like, oh, god damn, I start poking them a little bit. Like this, <laughs> this so film cute. is this film is almost silent. There's yeah, no very no, little no, no narration, no dialogue. Yeah, but just a couple of lines here and there. What what we learn is that the reason these walruses have gathered in such great numbers is mm. uh, because the ice is melting, the polar ice. Yeah, and uh, they're they they have to migrate to find, you know, more amenable climates. So this yeah. is a climate change movie. It is a climate uh, change movie. And unfortunately, uh, walruses prefer to congregate on ice shelves mm. uh, because of the way that they are built yeah, physically with their flippers and their giant tusks, their, their mobility. Uh, they, when they're on land... Less mobile. They're less mobile. They're they're not really designed to be walking around on rocks, so their skin gets injured. No, they, uh, when they, they, they really congregate, sick, and then they start stampeding after a while. Yeah, with just by pure accident. They're not trying to do anything. It's just they're 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 all over each other. And unfortunately, by the end of the documentary, you see that not every walrus is coming is going back to sea. Mm. Um, and that's very sad, and that's very sobering. Uh, it's incredibly subtle mm. and kind. And when it's not sad, and at the end it is sad. It's funny because walruses are very sweet, weird creatures. <laughs> uh, you really like the walruses. <laughs> like, 
I've I have a lot of affection for walruses now that I didn't have beforehand. And I gotta tell you, I've seen so many documentaries, great documentaries, that coast on a very familiar documentary format. Here, here's what we're talking about today. We're interviewing all the relevant people. If there's an interesting piece of information, we'll save it for later. <laughs> you, know, you, you can mess with that format or you can do it straight. A lot of people, they're different, familiar formats. Yeah. Uh, this is so wonderfully put together. Well, it's also just beautiful. It's wonderfully yeah. paced and edited. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's constantly just really... revealing itself to yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, this is how you can tell the academy doesn't mm. respect uh, sort of sort of shorts as a mm. general format. The artists who make this aren't nominated in other categories. Mm-hmm. This is clearly eligible. Mm-hmm. Why isn't it up for best cinematography? Well, documentaries uh, very rarely are. I suppose so. Yeah, but it's gorgeous here. Agreed. Oh, I don't mm. disagree. There was uh, like the, a couple of years ago maybe even one year ago, uh, there was a documentary that was also up for Best uh, International Film. It was the one about the honey. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah what um, was that one called? Oh, what was the honey film called? I'm, I'm going to look it out. Because it was really good. Yeah, I like the honey film. Yeah. Uh, but it's very uncommon uh, for a documentary to be nominated for Best International Feature. Yeah. Uh, a documentary hasn't been nominated. It's, it's technically eligible. But a documentary hasn't been nominated for Best Picture since the very first Academy Awards mm. in a category that no longer exists. Because at the first Academy Awards, there were two Best Picture categories. Right. Um, and even that one was one of those like quasi-documentaries where parts of it are real, lot, parts yeah. of it are staged. Um, but yeah, so yeah, th- technically, there could be documentaries nominated in a whole bunch of different categories. Mm. Uh, I think aside from, I think Bowling for Columbine was nominated for Best a, a Screenplay. Oh yeah, if memory serves. Uh, they never are, and that's a bummer. Once I want to look up the Bowling for Columbine though. That, that was like a juggernaut. That like was everybody, a big deal. Everybody saw Bowling for Columbine. That was a very big deal. That movie. Mm-hmm. What was that? Someone out there is um, yelling. The, someone the out there is yelling. I, I was oh god, I was watching like a, a video of people who were like watching a clip of a weird movie, and they were trying mm-hmm. to a source like, hey, what's this? shot from and i'm like it's bambi meets godzilla damn it and they're like oh we'll look it up don't look it up it's bambi meets godzilla i know this so um for whoever's going through that right now i i do apologize it it was just called honeyland honeyland yeah there you go boom (laughs) that's why you couldn't remember it's a little too obvious a little obvious yeah it was in 2019 it was also from a couple years earlier than i remember it was 2019 yeah nothing was stopping parasite that year but um in any case yeah but i i love all out this is my favorite of the lot oh it's mine too i think i this is a good lot. I like all of these, actually. But this is not just an interesting story, not just attractively presented, but just a wonderfully well-told narrative. It has, like, that very droll, kind of laconic Coen Brothers vibe. Like, yeah, a little bit like, of that, that absurdity. Yeah, you can of, imagine of the Coen stra- Brothers... strange the scenario is. Yeah, exactly. You can imagine the Coens, like, doing something like this. So... Um, I, I really admire this one. If you only see, you only get a chance to see one. I can't imagine how, but, uh, <laughs> if you only get a chance to see one, I do recommend seeing Hollow because it's fantastic. Yeah. So gorgeous. So gorgeous. Yeah. Love, love it uh, to pieces. I, I was surprised how much I liked the Walrus film. Uh, mm. and because the next film, how do you measure a year? Uh huh. Uh, is like designed to make you cry. Yeah, it's like super sentimental. Uh, Incredibly it, so. Yeah. Yeah. This uh, filmmaker, his name is uh, 
Rosenblatt, um, Jay Rosenblatt, yeah, uh, engaged in this project. You described it a little earlier. Yeah. Um, he uh, got his daughter at age two and asked her a few questions on her second birthday. Mm. And she's cute because she's a little two year old. Yeah, very cute. And kid. then came back year after year on her birthday on the same couch, mm-hmm. same house. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to ask her the same questions again all the way through age 18. So it took yeah. eight, took 16 years to make. And these are pretty general questions. Some of them are like a little heavier, like kind of designed for her like, a little later. Yeah, like, like where does power come from? Like what is, is one of the power? Questions. Yeah. Like what do you dream about? Mm-hmm. What do you want to be when you grow up is an obvious one, but like that's mm-hmm. an example. Uh, what foods do you like to eat? That kind of thing. And it's just sort of, catching up with her over time and it's it's a little bit like watching boyhood on fast forward because <laughs> right. there's that hypnotic thing of where you're watching someone who at the end of the movie because a little kid hmm. turns into an adult <laughs> and an adult doesn't look like a little kid you can see how it happened hmm. but when you see it all at once like that it's kind of weird yeah, well it, it's like it's kind of surreal to go through an entire like hmm. li- like 20-ish years of, like, physical change mm. and psychological change. He changes dramatically over mm. the course of the film. Uh, it's it's genuinely, like, a bizarre watch in Although, some yeah, regards. She, uh, so this little girl, uh, Ellie, I think is her name? Oh, uh, I think so. It? Ellie, Ella? Something like that. I think it's Ella. Ella. It's Ella. Ella Rosenblatt. Ella Rosenblatt. Um, yeah, she starts out to... Uh, and when she's two, she gives the most interesting answers. <laughs> Yeah. Because you can't really, like, trace where it comes from. Yeah, uh, it's all just kind of random. One of the questions is, where does power come from? And her answer is, the vagina. <laughs> and, and this is the one time they kind of break out, and the the, the dialogue, is, there's, there's, like, a, a card a that says, like, I have no idea where she got this yeah. from. And then later on, I figured it out. She thought it was talking about, like, like powder. Ba- baby powder. Like, baby yeah. powder. Like, okay. <laughs> Not power, but powder. Yeah. Um so yeah, uh, it's it's interesting to watch this little girl grow into a young woman, uh, mm-hmm. and you can see the change around age mm-hmm. like five or six. She starts to develop certain interests. She's interested in singing and mm-hmm. performing, and that uh, will continue. And yes, it's kind of nice to see. In that fact, that... she sings different songs. And in fact, she sings um, uh, "Seasons of Love" from Rent, which is where yeah. that lyric comes from. How do you measure a year? Yeah. Uh, and it, it's really interesting from seven to eight. When she turns from a little kid into a kid. Yeah. Like, that's the big... I think, for me, that was the biggest dramatic change. And yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm just saying that because my son is almost eight. Mm-hmm. But, uh... But, no, you can tell, like, a little bit, like, they're they're not just saying things that they've heard. Yeah. They're, they've thought about it. And mm-hmm. they've come to their own conclusions about things. And they're really deciding how they feel about stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that will change. But they're starting to become their own person. Yeah. And that's uh, really interesting. Watching watching her round 12, 13, and 14 was when particularly interesting. When she starts when she to gets, get sulky. Yeah, she's like, doesn't really care. <laughs> yeah. you know what, I, I think it was age 14. What do you like? I like sleeping. And I then like, the last shot is her just napping on the couch. Yeah. Like, it's, after a while, there's a several in a row where uh, it, she's just like, she, just, she doesn't want to do it. Mm. Like, she does because it's her dad and it's a tradition. But also, you can tell she's got other things on her mind or mm. other things she'd rather be doing right now. And after a couple of those, dad says, you know, like, every year you say you'd rather not be doing it. She says, no, no, I love doing this. I just, 
you know, I just, you know, today's a bad day. And then the cut to the next year, she's even more annoyed. Yeah. To <laughs> oh, just a bad day. Until she gets to 18 and yeah. she's get, she gets a little wistful because yeah. she's moving away to college. Yeah, she re- yeah. she started to realize that she's moving on and this tradition she's had with her dad has been something that has been part of their lives and it's kind of mattered. And that's very sweet. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it is... It, it's desi- designed to make parents cry. It is. It is maybe... The best home movie I've ever seen. <laughs> well, I would say Jonathan Coet's Tarnation from 2002. I would, I'm not sure uh, I'd call a home movie because that feels like, um, that was like... It's more confessional. Well, it's confessional, yes. It's also um, less straightforward. Like, he's commenting on it. He's yeah. actually, this is just, like, you're, I mean, they cut out bits. Mm-hmm. You know, it's clear that they don't show every question every time. But um, it feels like we're seeing most of it, and it's relatively unedited. Like, if it was all in the same cassette, it could be. Um, Tarnation's great, by the way. Um, yeah, check also, out, find that film, Tarnation. And also, really Jonathan Kouet's actually having some, like, really hard times right now. There's, oh, like, is he? There's, yeah, like, I a GoFundMe. So Dude, if you search on Twitter for Jonathan Kouet, uh, you should, if you love Tarnation. And I, I imagine if you've seen it, you do. Um, t- check it out. Mm-hmm. I recommend doing what you can, even if you just spread the word. Um so this is again. It's really, really good. It, it hits. It, it it tugs at the heartstrings. Hmm. I'm not sure it's a great documentary, really. I think it's more like <laughs> what, I think what it's else more. Would you call it? It's more of, an, it's more of a project. I don't uh, know. Like, it feels like a project. It is a project. I don't know. Like okay, you know what? That's actually really fucked up and harsh. And I apologize. Oh. Of course, it's a documentary. Yeah. Of course, it's a documentary. I do feel though that in its construct, it's so. It's ambitious in that it took time, and that's really high concept, but it's also very straightforward, and it was always going to have an impact no matter what happened in it. Okay. And as a result, I'm maybe a little less impressed with it than I am uh, from people who pulled something together under less ideal circumstances... Um, I, I don't know if I'm phrasing this right. Do, do you see what I mean, though? It feels like it's it feels like a different entity than the other well, documentaries. It feels like it's in its own little corner. Uh, well, I, I I'm not going to fault it just because somebody shot it in their own home. I'm not saying uh, I'm faulting it. I'm yeah. saying for me, it feels like separate. It feels like uh, a different thing. It feels it feels like it's hard to compare. Okay, I think that's what I'm getting at more than anything else. I apologize mm-hmm. for intimating for one second that it's not a documentary. Of course, it's a documentary. I'm not going to gatekeep. Well, I, th- I think I think what I feel, like, I, I feel like it's a weird. I think thing. I understand what you're getting at in that there's it, yeah. it because it is just uh, a dad with a video camera, mm-hmm. a literal VHS like consumer yeah. grade VHS camera. Uh, it doesn't have the same sort of filmmaking hallmarks. Of, of a documentary crew who's actually like looking to lock down certain kinds of shots and, and capture feels, certain angles of, of you know cute elephants yeah. or walruses. It, it almost feels like found footage, and that yeah. someone just literally found this in a closet and sent it into the academy. Yeah, like it could have been. Um, it's not a bad thing, I suppose. Uh, one just, of the uh, one of the documentary films from uh, I think it was from two years ago, mm. which was about the Nazi rally at Madison Square Garden yeah. in the 1930s. Yeah. Oh, and it was God. just found footage yeah, just, of this this gigantic Nazi rally. It's called A Night at the Garden. A Night at, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, and it's it's only a couple minutes long, and it's just basically like... Somebody found it, it's like, let's it, release this as a short, and it's it got like, nominated for an Oscar. It's like the, it's like the newsreel B-roll. Mm. It's just all of the big wide shots. Of, again, they held a Nazi rally... 
In New York. In New York. In the 1930s. In 1939. And Madison Square Garden. And, and you can a lot see of support. And you can see the American flag right next to swastikas. Tons of people there. Yeah. It's <laughs> just terrifying. Um, and you're right. That, that, that does have like a found footage kind of quality. It's yeah. like we just found this. We, this is in and of itself just fascinating and horrifying. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah. somebody had to edit that. And True. And mix the sound and make sure you know, it was viewable as a film. Yeah. I, I guess maybe it's just because it hit me so differently. Maybe because mm-hmm. it felt so personal. Okay. Um, even though it's clearly very universal. It's like any parent could do this mm-hmm. if they wanted to. Um, it might be a nice project, actually. I see no reason not to. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It just, it just hit me in a different way. and It made me think of it. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I like it. I, I think maybe maybe it's because it's so sentimental. Uh-huh. A part of me wants to reject it a little bit. Like, a part <laughs> of me is just like, oh, you. You know what you were... You knew what you were going to do. You knew you were going to make us all sad and sweet. Mm-hmm. And like, ah... Well, if he had never released that, you know that's something that he'd be watching with his daughter. Of you know, course. Like on a wedding day, that kind of stuff. Oh, but... it'd be lovely. It'd mm. be absolutely lovely. Of course you should do that. It's a wonderful thing. You know, it's a wonderful thing. I just, mm. yeah, I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird, <laughs> it's, it, so it's... it sticks out. All right. It sticks out. That's all I'm going to say. I, I've been really inarticulate about this and I feel bad. I'm just going to own it. Oh. <clears throat> Sometimes we screw up and I'm going to move on. Well, but speaking of something that's a little bit more structured. Very structured. Very constructed. Um. Mm. The idea that a film, uh, what is the definition they give you in film school? It has to be like moving or entertaining or informational. Mm. Uh, that that's like a definition of cinema. It has to convey something, some kind of information. It doesn't have to move you necessarily, but it can teach you. And uh, even if it's just teaching you what the artist feels or something or saw. You know, yeah. But in the case of documentary films, it can just be facts. It can be didactic, yeah, what we and, call it. Something that's just here to teach you things. And you know what? That's fine, too. I'm yeah. actually, I have no objection to didacticism no. in cinema. A documentary uh, is a wonderful means through which to teach. Just to yeah, teach. Yeah. You can show footage, interviews. You can why, why contextualize do you think, things why do you in think history. TED Talks are so popular yeah. on, online? Yeah. Like people just want it to, you know... Have ideas. Be exposed and hear those, to new yeah, thoughts. Those lectures. So the Martha Mitchell effect is the kind of short-ish documentary. It's what's that like? Forty minutes? This is one of the longer it's, ones. This is the longest one. This is the longest one. It's forty minutes long. Uh, it flies by. I will say this It's very well paced. Mm. Um, but this is the sort of thing that they would put on in like an American government class or an American yeah. history class. And and I I was familiar with uh, a lot of the details of Martha Mitchell because I saw some of that new series Gaslit. Uh, oh, with, I seen that. Uh, with Sean Penn and uh, and Julie Roberts played Martha Mitchell in that one. Oh, I didn't uh, really. Oh, I didn't know. There, oh, I didn't yeah. know that's what that was about. Yeah, it's a Watergate oh, uh, cool. miniseries. Okay. okay, so yeah, so Martha Mitchell. If you don't know who Martha Mitchell is, uh, Martha Mitchell uh, was uh, in the wife of John was, Mitchell, who Nixon's was the, attorney, Nixon's attorney. General. He was Nixon's attorney general. He was also in charge of Nixon's uh, re-election campaign, uh, which is significant. Because Nixon's re-election <laughs> campaign... Because if you know your history... Because Nixon's re-election campaign uh, involved crime. They broke into uh, the offices of the Democratic Party in order to uh, put bugs and monitor them, mm-hmm. and they were caught. And that kind of became a huge thing. You might have heard of the Watergate scandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, it was seen as, oh, maybe it was just a few bad apples. Uh, Never mind that a few bad apples spoil the bunch... People always leave that part out of that expression. 
Um, and it turns out Nixon knew, and but here's the thing: Watergate. Everyone always thinks that like these sorts of like political scandals are gonna hit. It's gonna affect everything immediately, and then we're all just gonna move on. Yeah. Watergate took a while to fully it took, unfold. It took a long time. In fact, uh, the scandal broke, mm -hmm. and the election happened anyway, and Nixon won in a landslide regardless. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, for people who are uh, really antsy that none of the criminals from a uh, presidential administration haven't been arrested yet, it's because it's a slow-moving machine. It is. In it's retrospect, it seems years. fast. In yeah. retrospect, it seems like Watergate just happened. At the yeah. time... Took several it was, years. It was several and, uh, years and was not a sure thing. And, and one of the people, it, it was, yeah, it, it was such an embarrassment. Yeah, not not just to the country in very in general, but mm. the way the Nixon administration handled all of this, the way they kept trying to pass the buck and mm -hmm. sort of slime their way out of it and sell, see these sort of like half measures and like started pointing fingers yeah. in a really transparent kind of a way. Yeah, um, Martha Mitchell mm -hmm. was sort of dropped into the middle of this. Mm -hmm. uh, because of her personality. Yeah, Martha, and that's what this documentary is about. Martha Mitchell, who I was uh, I knew of, but I had uh, never really seen like a lot of footage of, apparently a total badass. Yeah. Uh, whereas a lot of uh, the the <laughs> all I can think of is Joe Don Baker is Martha Mitchell. <laughs> I know. That's a joke from MST3K. Yeah. But um, uh, they talk about in the documentary how at the time uh, a po a politician's career. Uh, meant managing every part of their lives and a lot of that meant finding the right politician wife yeah which is someone who would look it on camera support you if anyone asked a question said the right thing and then when the men started talking left to go have coffee with the other women mm. if you saw steven spielberg's the post they illustrate parts of that there um it's that wonderful shot in the post when mm. uh the, the meryl streep character goes into like the room the like the newspaper board uh meeting yeah and like she's wearing, like she's, I think she's wearing a white dress, and like yeah. she opens the door, and it's like light pours in, and it's just a sea of men in black suits. Yeah, she yeah. just sort of enters the room. It's like this really alienating moment. Well, Martha Mitchell had none of that shit, and she would oh, golly, actually no. call the president every once in a while just to just to chew him out for stuff. And apparently Nixon hated her because of course he did. <laughs> Nixon uh, didn't like anybody. <laughs> Nixon didn't like anybody, but he really didn't like someone who who was. Who, who was uh, loud up in, up and in his grill. Yeah, and who didn't just let him enjoy his power. So um, she was talking to the press constantly. Mm -hmm. um, she was, in some early on in the political career, was seen as kind of just a fun, mm -hmm. sort of like a, an atypical person. Bit, in bit, bit of a gadfly, perhaps. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, it, it, she'll, she'll dominate the society pages, but not in a way that brings any embarrassment to anybody. She's just... More talkative than most. Oh, okay, great. When the Watergate shit happened, and she found out about it, she immediately, because she knew her husband was going to potentially be implicated, she didn't realize how far involved he actually was, uh, tried to call uh, one of her contacts in the White House uh, press. Hmm. <laughs> While she was on the phone, her husband's men grabbed the phone, hung up the phone saying, get the phone away from her so that the press person could hear it, and then sedated her forcefully against like, her will. Like, like injected gave her an her. injection. Yeah. yeah. She was functionally kidnapped. And mm -hmm. she told everyone about it. And everyone said that she was 
losing her mind. She's crazy. She was paranoid. Yeah, um, oh, poor John Mitchell. Uh, which, uh, if you know anything about uh, sort of the history of, yeah. of mental health and uh, uh, internment into uh, mental health facilities, yeah. we, we watched a movie recently called The Snake Pit, uh, yeah, Best Picture nominee. Which from the, was from a, the 40s. Yeah, yeah, from the 1940s, which is a lot about this. Um, mental asylums mm-hmm. were a place to send women. Mm-hmm. That weren't doing what you asked. Yeah, they were. There was. Uh, you could just if you were related to them, uh-huh. if you were their husband, you could just say she should be in an asylum, and then the men who ran that asylum would say okay, and okay. then that's where she'd be from then on. Yeah, and uh, in fact, uh, the the procedure of the the lobotomy mm-hmm. was. Uh, Used to that effect. Yeah. There's a, a film about it recently called The Mountain with uh, Jekyll Bloom. Oh, I didn't see that yeah, one. It's yeah. all about yeah. that. Well, there's uh, also so this... and there's also th- th- terms that we still use rather cavalierly today, like hysterical. Yeah. Hyst- that was, hysteria was a made-up term for this woman is acting in a way that mm. we would rather she not. Yeah. The, another wonderful movie uh, called uh, Hysteria. Yeah. I, I actually never finished. I shouldn't call it wonderful. but um, Yeah, you liked what you uh, saw. I, I liked what I saw of a movie called Hysteria with Mag- Maggie Gyllenhaal, which is about the invention of the vibrator. Yeah. Uh, that is the, the sex toy. Uh, and how it was originally... Used as treatment. Yeah, this is treatment for mental illness. Well, I mean... Uh, so, But yeah, this idea that Martha Mitchell was indeed gaslit. She was told she was crazy. What you saw wasn't real. And mm-hmm. uh, she was a victim of all of these callow, spineless jellyfish men mm-hmm. who were trying to get away with something and she wasn't letting them. Yeah. Uh, there is... It's, uh, and, it's, and, it's and history pre- has pre- vindicated her. Yes, yeah. Uh, pe- pe- yes. People have come back around on Martha Mitchell. They understand how poorly she was treated. Yeah, uh, that and... she was right the whole time. Mm-hmm. That everything she was trying to tell people, at least initially she, under- she didn't know her better husband was involved, but... Once she found out, she was very, very honest. Uh, Richard Nixon famously resigned the presidency because yeah. of this scandal. Uh-huh. And, and they and blamed her for part of it. And said this is all on her. Uh, <laughs> and rather embarrassingly, Nixon was pardoned. <laughs> I, st- I get so, it. You wanted the country to heal, but also that's uh, not no consequences. Country, yeah. no, that doesn't work. You can't heal without actual consequences mm-hmm. for actions. It just encourages people to do again. Because then it says, yeah, yeah, you can do it again. Who cares? Like, it's There bullshit. are consequences. Yeah. Just do it a second time. Martha Mitchell repeatedly says in this documentary, like, you know, was, you know, was it all worth it, Martha? And she was mm-hmm. like, yeah, because now, you know, people won't do as many terrible things in office. Sadly, that part didn't really pan out. But um, this was a really illuminating documentary. It's really, it's engagingly told and it helps that the people involved are such characters even like the real monsters involved like the corrupt politicians you know nixon is a fucking cartoon (laughs) villain he really is but regardless martha mitchell is an incredible effervescent interesting person and it's exciting to watch her and to see her vindication is genuinely satisfying. Mm-hmm. So, um, although the documentary is in many respects extremely straightforward, again, this is the it's an educational documentary. Yeah, here are the facts. Um, impeccably made. Oh yeah, I have no flaw. There are no no notes. Just impeccably <laughs> made. I feel like um, 
the Nixon administration, uh, mm. at least for somebody my age, yeah. has been covered so frequently mm-hmm. uh, throughout cinema history that a lot of the details are really well known at this point. All mm-hmm. of the players are really well known. Uh, we've had dramatizations. There were, there was mm. a comedy in the late 90s that was just called Dick. Yeah. Uh, that would start Kirsten Dunst and Michelle yeah. Williams as when, when White they, House interns who find yeah, out about the Watergate scandal yeah, and, and undermine Nixon. But they're like sort of like bubbly, none-too-bright teenagers who just have no real interest in politics other than they kind of like Nixon and they think it's neat. Yeah, and then when they're disillusioned, they decide to do something about yeah. it. It's, a, it's got a bit of a cult following. It's been a while since I've okay, heard anyone uh, talk um, about it, but it's, uh, it's well-liked. Dan Hedaya plays Richard Nixon in that one. Very and he, well cast. And he's excellent in that movie. Very well cast as Richard Nixon. Better uh, cast as Richard Nixon than Anthony Hopkins. Absolutely. Dan and Hedaya, he was good in it. And he Dan, was good Dan in Nixon. Dan Hedaya should have played yeah. Nixon in Oliver Stone's movie. Um, Agreed. So it's kind of, and that, that was a movie for teenagers in the late nineties. And I remember there was some concern, like do teenagers know about Nixon? Yeah. Nixon's all over the place. All the details of this are are, are everywhere. We all know about Nixon, but it's, it's easy to forget or it's easy for history to strip away what it felt like to be there at the moment. Like even just the timeline, I think for a lot of people like who were aware of Watergate to be reminded that the Watergate scandal happened during the election didn't negatively affect Nixon in the election mm. and didn't come to a head until after he'd been in office again for a while. That feels weird when you think about it today mm. because that doesn't always come together. That isn't always part of it. We just hear about Watergate scandal happened, Nixon left office, and that's it. Like, that's the bullet points. To remember what it was like to be there in the key moments and just how the the uncertainty of those moments, the people scrambling to re- retain power, mm. uh, to cover things up, uh, the way that people who nowadays would probably be ashamed of it didn't believe what they were seeing. Mm. This is one of the reasons why I think The Post is one of Spielberg's better movies. It does it covers I, I that really well. I love The Post, man. It's really good. Not The Post, man. The Post. I comma, love The Post, comma, man. man. Uh, the Post is a great movie. And I think because it, it handles that so well, it understands that history isn't in the big Wikipedia bullet points. It's in the moments. And those moments can last forever. And we forget sometimes what it was like to live through those moments. Mm-hmm. And the older you get, the more hyper-aware you are of that because you start seeing things that you lived through show up in, like, shorthand. Mm-hmm. And you realize that, like, that that wasn't what it was like to actually be there. That's You're, you're skimming yeah. a lot of it. And I get it. You're just trying to convey the point and move on. But it's important to convey to future generations the complexity of it. Because otherwise, that's the because I feel like that's the thing that we 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 lose sight of mm. is that a lot of these really atrocious things in history didn't happen suddenly. They no, gradually, no, no, no. and people there, were there even, a, a system that allowed them to happen, and people were warning us about them all the way. So when people say like, "Oh, it's not like what's happening now isn't at all like what's happening what happened in Germany in the '30s," mm. it's like. Actually, it, it, it's a lot more than there, you'd remember. There's a reason we're bringing it up, because the circumstances that led to that... Like, are weirdly broader, specific, yeah, actually. Like, like, the Third Reich, actually, one of their earlier talking points was being against mm. uh, queer people and trans people. One of the first 
uh, big book burnings, the big symbol of Nazi hatred and ignorance was burning what it was at the time, the largest library uh-huh. of actual information about uh, queer people and queer history, mm-hmm. queer literature, and and trans experience. It was erased. That, that, that was right, that, but it. happened then. Yeah, it's yeah. it's we bring it up because there's a parallel, and so we've talked repeatedly when we've done these episodes about how certain subjects keep coming up and over over and over again, including the Holocaust. And I remember early on when we talked about them, we we. You know, we obviously respect them, but at the same time, we were wondering, like, d- does anyone not get it? Yeah, a lot of people didn't get it. We desperately need these, and we need to see them over and over again. We need to constantly remind people, because apparently, <laughs> if we don't... S- it, it, it doesn't take that long Aww. for people to just miss the fucking point and let horrible shit happen again. So, yes, more documentaries about this, please. <laughs> for the love of God. <laughs> Whew. Anyway, well, we got one well, more documentary well done, left. Well done. We got one more documentary left, uh, and uh, it is it is an unexpected piece. I got to tell you this: there's another one that didn't mm-hmm. unfold the way I thought. Um, this one is called is "Stranger at the Door." Stranger at the Gate. Stranger at the Gate. Thank Str- you. I yeah, Stranger at the Gate is about mm-hmm. uh, an American soldier mm-hmm. or a marine, I guess. Yeah. Uh, his name is um, Richard McKinney. Richard, yeah. Richard McKinney. Uh, we. We we first start talking to and there's an interview with his stepdaughter, uh-huh. and she talks about how much she loved her stepdad and how he seemed really really great and they had great adventures together and they bonded and then she says it's really bizarre to realize that you might not know you're living with a potential mass murderer yeah which is a terrifying thought and sadly one that is not. That is sadly one that is quite relevant because we still have an epidemic of mass shootings, uh, hate crimes, hate yeah. crimes, bombings, and uh, um, and this is about a soldier who uh, bought into a lot of the xenophobic rhetoric, yeah, that was being sold him by a lot of uh, right wing politicians, right wing politicians, uh, and, and the military itself, yeah. Would which you... if if you're fighting an enemy, xenophobia mm. is actually an important lesson to learn. You're, you're taught uh, to dehumanize the mm. people that you're shooting because if you didn't, you'd never stop crying. Mm. Uh, you'd and, go mad, yeah. And that is a horror story in and of itself, but. Mm. It's something this guy was dealing with and he was trying to get his life together and then 9-11 happened and all of that xenophobia, all of that, mm. uh, particularly uh, fear and hatred of uh, Islam, mm. uh, started to become more commonplace, more in the more in the mainstream. Everyone started to... Well, the government was saying it out loud. Yeah. And so this guy started to become very paranoid about people uh, at a mosque in Indiana, which was near him, uh, that and his the, daughter didn't see any problem with. And when he found out that she had been, like, in classes mm. with people who with, were Muslim... With, yeah, with Muslim people. Uh, decided to do something about it. Yeah. He, uh, and he's um, he's on camera, this yes. guy. Yeah, he's he, giving He's the one being interviewed by all of this. Yeah. And uh, he's chillingly frank about yeah. his thinking process yeah about how he decided to commit an act of horrendous violence how it seemed logical to him yeah at the, the time this, this was all yeah. 
totally what the country needed of him yeah. at the moment. This is how he could be of use. And um, at, when you're watching this and you realize that you don't recognize the guy's face or name, mm. and then you realize, well, given how many horrible acts of domestic terrorism have taken place, mm. it is entirely possible that I forgot this guy's name. Yeah. Like, I don't remember this horrible thing this guy did. There are and, too, too many horrible things to keep yeah, track of. It, it's, it's, that in and of itself is a terrifying thing for a documentary to make you realize. And I don't even know if they were trying to do that. But um, eventually, he realizes that he wants to make sure that after he does this terrible thing, and he's planning to do it, mm. um, he wants his stepdaughter to know he did the right thing. Yeah, And in order to do that, he has to investigate and expose the people at this mosque for the bad people that they whatever whatever crime he thinks they're they're guilty of so he convinces himself to go to that mosque Hmm. before he would do anything terrible he walks through the door and he's greeted like a friend Hmm. and people show an interest in him and they are nice to him and they help him talk about his feelings. They have no idea what he was planning. Mm. And there's later on they even say, we're, we were shocked to find out this is what he thought. We knew he was lost. Yeah. He was okay. clearly a, well, he, a lost soul. And, and he's entering a, a place of worship. So yeah. surely he he's welcomed. needs some kind of help, right? Yeah. So he is welcomed. Uh-huh. And this is not what he was expecting at all. And then he goes back... And he is again welcomed and treated well. And he realizes that he didn't have a sense of faith or community. Mm. And what he really wants is to be Muslim. <laughs> and he ends up converting and becoming part of the church and never doing the horrible thing. So, he, yeah. he intended to, to it. People twist. know it. Yeah, yeah. He openly told... He, mm. he, people know. They know. Uh-huh. And... I'm sure they had some difficult conversations, but they, he's, he was accepted mm. as someone who nearly did a terrible thing and has been in the process of trying to redeem yeah, himself. But yeah. the, the conversion was such a wonderful, like, yeah. cathartic moment. Yeah. I was reminded of um, a, a, scene, a scene, of all things, in the, the, the Borat movie. I thought of this, the too. Scene, the, yeah. There's a scene in the, Bo- the second Borat film. Yeah. Uh, one of the gags of Borat is that he himself is a horrendous anti-Semite. The character. Yeah. Um, and again, played uh, by Sa- Sacha Baron Cohen. Sacha Baron Cohen yeah. is is Jewish himself. Yeah. But uh, you know, he, he's sort of sort of sending up anti-Semitism, and yeah. uh, one of his sort of prank bits was that he dressed up in like the most horrendous stereotype. Mm-hmm. He wants uh, to go can... undercover in a yeah. synagogue, but he so, dresses up as like a really horrifying, mm. offensive stereotype. Yeah, and so he of put, Jewish put, puts on yeah, sort of that getup, and he goes into a temple. And I think the gag was, oh, again, he's just going to be kicked out. You know, we get to see people get really outraged mm-hmm. by his outrageous behavior. And there, there's these two old ladies in there, yeah, and they see it and they recognize it immediately, and they say, yeah. oh god. Okay, come over here. Yeah. Why are you dressed like this? Why are you doing? What do you think yeah. you're doing? And like yeah. in a very not accusatory way, no, just no, a very no. warm kind like, of trying to understand kind of way. Someone has come in and here the, and they clearly are missing something. Yeah. And we are in a position, based on our life experience, based mm-hmm. on our uh, faith, to guide them. Mm-hmm. 
And they are their patience of a saint. <laughs> I just, they're, my they're patient God. and they're open and they know yeah. how to talk to this guy. And yeah. I, you could, if you look closely, you can kind of see Sasha Baron Cohen getting like really embarrassed at his uh-huh. stunt, but it's such a sweet, genuine moment. Of course he left it in the movie. He left it in the movie because that's, it's actually really important, mm. I think. And Stranger of the Gate is, is another movie, not unlike Hall Out, that presents itself in an interesting way. The way that they reveal information is yeah, And there's is kind of a twist ending. Yeah. yeah um, on one hand, it's incredibly hopeful. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need more of that because it's a really dire time. Uh, and the idea that, you know, we, we can... That goodness can prevail. Yeah. Uh, that uh, people can be... Uh, saved and redeemed and prevented from doing terrible things which they are being for for a variety of reasons are are going down a horrible path on the other hand i i a part of me is also like it, this exact story is nice to tell but a part of me is like what am i supposed to get out of this because are we are we supposed to reach out to like every human being specifically on an individual level like mm-hmm. it feels like that's a big ask yeah, well, i'm not sure i'm not well, sure that's practical advice for everything I think, but i think this is actually yeah. um a good story of there are some pretty trite stories out there and, mm-hmm. and you know green book for instance where mm-hmm. it tries understanding to argue, will solve everything yeah it yeah. tries to argue that if if you, if you just did bother to get to know one other person if everybody yeah. did this then racism would be a thing of the past yeah and i think that, that's no, the vibe of that that's and, the one interpretation of this i wouldn't like uh, well but i don't think that's what's going on here yeah. i think they're actually trying to um say that uh kind of that there's hope for every lost person sure that this guy is clearly you know off the deep end he's, yeah. he, he's planning to do something really horrendous yeah he came very very and, close to doing it yeah, yeah. And while uh, there is sort of like a proselytizing element to it, I sure. feel like it's very tasteful, and it's not all about that. And I, I think uh, mm. because it, it saves that twist for the end, mm-hmm. then uh, it, it becomes a little more palatable what I appreci- and a lot less sentimental about it. What I appreciate is that he—it's not just like all is forgiven, and he actually talks about being unable to forgive himself. Mm. And the people around him saying, I hope one day he is able to come to terms with what he almost did mm-hmm. and be happy again. Because yeah. even though he may have found comfort in religion and in his particular community at that mosque, um, he knows how the, he knows the darkness of his own soul. Mm-hmm. And he, I appreciate the frankness yeah. with which he discusses it. Um, and apparently he he does like speaking engagements about this and that's great. I think that's really really awesome and hopefully very helpful. Um so yeah, I my concern about this documentary isn't so much about the documentary itself so much as there is a way to take it that's a little um makes everything seem a little, a little easier to solve. Almost sentimental. Al- yeah. Almost sentimental. I think I think there's a there's a risk of making it seem like well, as long as Everyone reaches out to their would-be killers. Mm. Will be fine. Like that would be a bad interpretation here. But as a specific story, specifically told, I think this is this is strong work, and it's very interesting. And again, it's very very difficult to tell a story, any even remotely like this, and come out at the end thinking there there's some hope. Mm. 
And kudos for that. So on that note, and we'll move on to the next uh, category in a minute, uh, we've, we've, we've already said that our favorite is Hall Out. Yours is Hall Out as well? Hall Out is my favorite, yeah. Oh, it's funny. It's uniquely told. It's beautifully photographed. Um, do you think, however, that Hall Out is the one that's most likely to win? If you had to venture a guess. Oh, it, I mean, these things are difficult to predict. They are. Um, I'm just asking your opinion. Because not yeah. everyone listening to this will necessarily have time to, or, or even the inclination necessarily, to yeah. watch every single one of them. I think uh, I think Martha Mitchell has mm. the best chances of winning. Interesting. Um, because it's, it's political, mm-hmm. but it's safe. It's not commenting on anything going on right now, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but except it totally is. But it to- of course it yeah. totally is. Yeah. Um, it, I, I've, I've noticed in the past, uh, just in a very general way, that uh, the Academy will uh, nominate a lot of very pointedly political movies mm-hmm. that are uh, cause movies. Mm-hmm. Like contemporary cause. Yeah. This is happening right now. Yeah, and this is something we need to do something about. And then they won't. And frequently will go for the uh, a slightly gentler movie. Not necessarily the apolitical one. Mm-hmm. I remember, uh, what was the film about? Um, it was about making uh, sanitary napkins. and, and uh, Period, end of pe- sentence. Pe- it's called Period, End of Sentence. That's yeah, a great documentary. About, yeah, it's about period products in. Uh, it's about women who are, who are in like a really repressive area, yeah. where their women are, don't get those products, and they have to make yeah. them. And yeah. because they need to be overseen by the men, they have to lie about what they're making because the yeah. men would be embarrassed by such things. Yeah, and they wouldn't want uh, them to do it. Yeah, no, that's and that one is actually topical, but it was also a little removed from. Hmm. Uh, the American Experience, uh, so maybe that had a bit of a, a bonus. That's a great documentary, though. Yeah, like, and, and that's a, and yeah. I'm not saying by any stretch that that's an unworthy cause. No, no, no. I, I think this is something that should definitely be supported and should mm-hmm. uh, persist. But like, there are but other it, documentaries that were like very specifically topical to what's going on in America right now, like St. Louis Superman. Yeah, was a really yeah. good one about uh, local politics uh, or and racism uh, as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so. Um, you may have a point so I, there. I think Martha Mitchell is like because it it's it has the safety mm. of being you know fifty years in the past. Yeah, uh, people say, oh yeah, that it can also be it can be pointed political, but also uh, a nostalgia piece. Mm-hmm. I'm torn between because I really do think I'm concerned that Hall Out because it's a movie about walruses is going to be seen as maybe not portentous enough. Okay. However. I'm also wondering if the the pure sentimentality of how do you measure a year hmm. is gonna just floor people, <laughs> and they're just gonna like oh they're gonna think it's such a wonderful sweet thing and such a good idea and so like kind of universal hmm. because most of what the kid is talking about are pretty general experiences anyone can almost relate to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if that regardless of whether or not necessarily the it's the most deserving winner. Again, mm-hmm. I'd probably pick Hall Out. Um, I wonder if the raw emotional power of that one mm-hmm. is going to is going to hit people kind of like that um, that octopus documentary. It's called my, my Octopus Teacher. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people were surprised when that very sentimental octopus movie won Best Documentary Feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, considering a lot of people felt it seemed rather, I didn't actually never saw it, but the argument I heard was that it seemed rather insubstantial. Yeah, compared to the others. Guy who makes friends with an octopus. Yeah, so here we have one about, you know, Nixon and two about animal preservation and one about, you know, potential, about, about racism mm. and Islamophobia and potential uh, mass murder. And then you have one about, and growing up, kind of nice. 
Yeah, yeah, a little yeah. kid growing up, yeah. So um, I think if I don't think Elven Whispers and Stranger at the Gate are likely mm-hmm. to be to win, but you can never tell with these things. Um, for me, it's I want to say Hall Out, but that's if the Academy is cool, and the Academy is many things, but cool mm-hmm. not all the time. Uh, so I'm actually gonna I'm my vote my my pick my most likely prediction. I might change this when we do our ballots, but yeah. as of recording, I think how do you measure a year? Okay. Gonna, I think it's gonna. It's not my favorite, but I think it's the one that has a likelihood of winning because it is just so, just. It, it's kind of purely emotional, hmm. in a way that I think a lot of people are gonna respond to. Yeah, yeah. But they're all really good. I want to make that clear. These are all really good documentaries this year. Like, there's, yeah. they're all, and and it's even though some of them are about harsh subjects. It never feels just grim the way certain other years have. Like yeah. it's actually like a pretty good like uh uh sort of watch list mm-hmm. uh to get through it's not gonna it's it's not gonna feel too painful so um yeah i recommended all of them anyway moving on so you want to do uh live action shorts or animated shorts no, let's do the live okay, action shorts th- this this follows the way i i watch them but Same. I, I i do longest documentary to shortest then longest uh live action to shortest and then i chase with animation yeah so yeah um Again, the live-action shorts tend to be pretty bleak in this category. Often is the case, uh, Often. Yeah. Usually there's, like, one funny one. Yeah, l- l- yeah, one comedic one. Yeah. Is it weird that there's only one kind of harrowing one this time? It is, like, actually. There's one, one that's, like, about, like, public abuse, but it ends very well. Well, there's another uh, one that's about, like, a disappearance, and there's a lot yeah. of in- implication of, of terror, but it's all... Um, handled a little bit more like allegorically. Yeah. So I think there's two that are kind of intense, and then there are others which, and even one of the funny ones or one that feels like a funny one mm. ends up going to a dark place at the end. So it's just kind of a weirder mixed bag. Um, mm. but, I, it's an interesting crop though. Uh, and let's start with again. We're gonna do multi, uh, alphabetical order. Okay. Uh, let's start with an Irish goodbye. An Irish goodbye. Okay. Um, it's an Irish film. Um, it's about a pair of brothers. Uh, they're played by James Martin and Seamus O'Hara. Mm-hmm. And uh, their mother has died and has been cremated. Uh, and we are... It's broadcasted quite early on that this is a comedy film. It, it's about mourning, mm-hmm. but... Uh, there will be whimsy. Yeah, uh, in that we get a, a foul-mouthed priest. Yeah, a wacky priest yeah. who says the wrong things and realizes yeah. he's being embarrassing. And so when, he's, yeah. um, when he leaves the two brothers, the older brother... Has long since moved away. Mm. He lives in, I think, London now. He's moved, yeah, he's moved to England. Yeah, and uh, his younger brother, who has Down syndrome, mm. uh, and was living with their mother, uh, doesn't want to move to England, and there is an arrangement being made for him to move in with his aunt, but he doesn't want to do that either. He wants yeah, to live on the farm where he grew up, and his older brother's like, I'd probably have to live here with you, and I don't want to do that. Mm. So there's a little bit of intensity over... Where is this going to lead? And into that, we inject a, a new element. Well, they, they find their mother's bucket list. Yes. The priest uh, says that your mother had a list. Mm. We found it on her. Uh, that was things that she wanted to do before she died. And just the day when the older brother's going to leave and he's going to take his younger brother to live with their aunt, um, he finds the younger brother in the garden doing Tai Chi with the urn yeah. <laughs> full of ashes because one of the things on the mother's bucket list was learning Tai Chi. Mm. And he agrees in order to smooth things over, I won't go, 
until we do the bucket list. And, it, and it's like 110 items. It's yeah. a bunch of stuff. Like he says, how many is on there? He's like, 100? He's like, damn it! <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, and we don't read them all out, but you yeah. know, clearly some are like racing fast in a car. One was going up in a hot air balloon, so they just tie balloons to the urn and let it kind of float around a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't float away. Uh, yeah. Uh, and one of them is p- posed for a nude portrait, uh-huh. and there's which leads to this completely surreal imagery uh, image of the older brother uh-huh. reclining like almost naked, uh-huh. holding the urn, and yeah, the brother over his bits over his and the the, bro- the younger brother is painting them both. Yeah, and he's like, "That's really awkward." He's a very good painter though. It's yeah, you know, the, photorealistic. The, the painting comes back later in the movie in a very funny way. Yeah. Um, and, the, the, and then there's a, a twist involving uh, the bucket list and what was really going yeah, on. Yeah, it's, it's a short uh, film, so it leads to kind of like a punchy... Set up punchline kind of a... Almost, and that's the danger of a lot of short films. Is. Yeah. Where uh, the, the denouement does feel like a punchline. You just got yeah. told a 20-minute joke. It's, it's like It feels like a lot of short films play out like a first act of a story, but we don't have time for a middle and the ending's going to be kind of rushed. So a lot of them feel like they lead to a joke. Mm -hmm. This one doesn't lead to a joke. It leads to a a bit of a reversal. It's a little predictable if you're following along, Mm -hmm. but it's not bad. It's earned. It's earned. earned. And, And what I like about it is there are two things I like about this movie. One is that the, the image of, Doing something on a bucket, not like we'll do it instead of her, uh-huh. but we'll help her do it with the urn. The urn becomes, it, it's loving because they love their mother, but it's also a little comical. Mm-hmm. There's a much darker version of this where it's actually a dead body. Oh God, I, I, yeah. I don't want to see that movie too, but like regardless. D- darker or funnier? <laughs> I, possibly both. Um, so it's a little absurdist uh, uh, in its way, but. You know, it it does the job, and we see that these two brothers who have been estranged in being forced to spend time together mm. reconnect, and it's sweet. Yeah, it's it's slight, but it's got a fun concept, mm. and it's and, and rather both, charming. And both the brothers are very good. Yeah. Uh, they're both very good actors, and uh, yeah, they yeah. play the play the parts really well. Um, and it does have that kind of. Uh, wry humor of the aisles mm-hmm. where it, it's completely miserable and dreary and yet you can't help but see whimsy in that there's a certain uh, uh i mean not that all movies from any one place mm. are alike but there are certain types of comedy that come from that general uh vicinity mm. that are very dry and very much based off of like amusing people living in a small town like kind of it, it's like Banshees of Inishirin if it never got dark. You know, like, <laughs> right. just before then, everyone's just uh. charming and cute. Um, so yeah, I, I I like this. I don't love it. It doesn't, like, strike me as particularly powerful, but it's it's a well-made short film. There's Everyone should be pretty proud of it, I think. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I rather like this one. Um, I have no, no particular notes. It's, it's, <laughs> it's fine. It just, uh, you know, it's it's it's, it's slight. It's nice that it's light and sweet, though. Yeah, it, I agree. and and but it's you know it's about death, but you know about how death is. I mean, death is just part of life, and it, it's well, you know, it's part kind of death. Of, it's the end of life. That's, it's death. It's, it's, it's the, the death part. It's the end part of life. No, it's the death part. <laughs> if you hit the death part, you're not at the life part. The life part's been. Mm-hmm. Birth, death, they're parts of life. And, you can uh, look at it that way. That's like I that, choose to, thank you. That, and, that's uh, like, I'm sorry, man, but that's like saying that, like, 
the Fellowship of the Ring and the Return of the King are part of Two Towers. Like, no, that's Two Towers is its own middle bit. I would say that maybe the prologue is part of the movie. How about that? Fine. <laughs> I'm just being difficult to be difficult. Yes, and the, and the epilogue is also part of the movie. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, it's hmm. it's not fearful of death. It's not, you know, dwelling on it. It's it's just sort of a, a light story about death. And, and yeah. those are possible and fun. Yeah. Uh, the next one is not light and fun. It's actually pretty dark. Uh, it's called Ivalu. Ivalu, yeah. Ivalu. Uh, and uh, it is a Danish film. It takes place in Greenland. Uh, and um, it is about a young girl whose older sister has gone missing. Yeah. And her father says she ran away. And everyone's a little terse about it. Like, people don't seem terribly Forth- interested in looking for about, like, details yeah. of her, the disappearance. Pe- people just think she ran away and mm. kids do that and we're not really going to search. And- well, and, and you... We, you begin to wonder, like, what was up with this person, the, mm-hmm. this missing girl? Yeah. Is is she missing? Did, was she was she up to something criminal? Like, mm-hmm. it seems like everything's on her for a little bit. Yeah. And, and the, over the course, mm. in a very abstract way, yeah. they don't sort of, like, lay it out in facts. You kind of no. glean from, like, details and flashbacks what the actual, uh, the actual story was. And it's being told from the perspective of her younger sister, who is starting to piece together through memory and through revisiting a lot of the places that they uh, went to and experiences that they had together and sort of combing through her experiences with her older sister. She starts realizing that there were things about her sister and her life that she had missed or that didn't fully comprehend. And as the film progresses in a somewhat abstract, almost dreamlike way in some regards, um, she starts realizing that something really terrible has happened. Um, mm-hmm. It's intense. It's um, it's an interesting film. It's a film where, well, it, it's it's a telling a story through like sort of disparate images yeah. rather than through like conventional plot. And yeah. uh, it's not you, about like asking all the neighbors for information, yeah, and finding yeah. out whose story contradicts another mm-hmm. story. It's about per, uh, penetrating memory. Yeah, w- yeah, which I, I appreciate, actually, because that's the way memory functions. Yeah. Uh, if Deep Space Nine taught us anything, it's uh-huh. that time is not linear. Um, it's because our, our brains don't perceive mm-hmm. time linearly all the time because of memories. Uh, the, the more intense memories are stronger. I, and I, I remember feel like watching this, is... this story about like you know a horrifying thing that might have happened to a young person and thinking mm-hmm. to myself, Whitney's going to tie this into Deep Space Nine somehow. <laughs> There's only so many, so many ways he couldn't really. Uh, well, point Deep Space Nine is not the baseline reading, but the point <laughs> is uh, time is kind of unbound yeah. in the human mind, and uh, I think this film is very wise to look at a, a traumatic experience through a collection of experiences rather than as a plot. Uh, so I think it's really effective filmmaking. Yeah. It's a bit of a downer and it's, it's downer. and it's so abstract that you might kind of find yourself feeling it a little um, difficult to grasp. It demands uh, yeah. that you pay attention and it also, dem- it, but not to like detail, mm. but to actually broad swaths to imagery that becomes significant. She starts thinking that like her sister is visiting her in the form of a raven yeah, and yeah. maybe she is, maybe she isn't. Maybe that's just the way her mind is unlocking and all of then, these really unfortunate memories that she hasn't been able to process properly. And, and it's uh, this one's based on a comic book, if I recall. Um, is it? Yeah, I hadn't heard that. Yes, Ivalu is is a is a, co- a Danish comic book. No kidding. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, neat. 
Thank you for telling me that. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. It take, takes place in Greenland, so there's a lot of really interesting landscapes, yeah. a lot of really beautiful scenery. Mm-hmm. Um, you might notice uh, for a, a couple of years there, every fantasy world was New Zealand. Yes. Next to the Lord of the Rings movies, everyone go to New Zealand because there's these great big lush prairies and it looks kind of fantastical and natural. There's a lot of different, um, uh, a lot of different environments in a relatively small space. Yeah, so uh, about it's, a, it's convenient to film there. Yeah, about a decade later. And we'll still, we're uh, still there is Iceland. Iceland yeah. is now every fantasy kingdom uh, yeah. just because there's a lot of really interesting landscapes there. Yeah. Um, we're running out of places to shoot. We're yeah. ruining every place we go. <laughs> if only um, computers could create new places. Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's just do do nothing but film actors against green screens. It's been working great, hasn't it? I saw the it trailer just... for Quantum Mania. It looks really. I saw. I saw brown. Quant- I saw Quantum Mania. <laughs> yeah. Nobody. No, nobody's in the same room. It doesn't. Doesn't look good. All right. Uh, a major about face uh, in this one is a a and this is the longest short film, uh, Le Pupil. Uh, which is uh, a story about uh, some Italian uh, uh, Catholic school children, Catholic school children, orphans specifically, uh, in World War II, and mm-hmm. how they are being uh, raised by very stern nuns, uh, and the way that they're kind of being like not horrifically, but kind of exploited Mm. because there's this general sense that these orphans, because their lives are so tragic, they are closer to God. And if we like donate to the church, whether it be money or goods, like food or or cakes uh, repeatedly throughout this show. Yeah. Um, if we give to the church, the orphans will pray on our behalf and our prayers are more likely to be answered. Hmm. So, and so, that sets uh, so, up another story that's... Well, there's, you know. there's something kind of whimsical about uh, Catholic dogma. Now, I'm not Catholic. I'm not Catholic. And uh, I know that's... I know you are... You, uh, I was raised somewhat ra- Catholic. Raised somewhat Catholic. Yeah. Um, and but I, it, I don't know if I'd call it whimsical, but yeah. Point being, uh, Catholic dogma is incredibly structured. It's very rule-oriented. It's incredibly yes. dogmatic. And uh, there's like a, a, a hierarchy of people who pray to God. Like you pray, mm. like there's a, a chain of command essentially sure. uh, from the top down. Uh, I, I, I was raised Protestant, so mm. I, we didn't get that. It's just sort of. Well, everyone was, prays all willy nilly. Well, no, it was it was actually more about like study and getting getting a degree and like knowing mm. the history of the church and like the actual like text of the Bible. Oh, yeah, no, we just gave uh, cakes to orphans. Much easier, I suppose. So, but because of this, uh, <laughs> the structure of the Catholic Church, you get these things like, well, if they pray for me, my prayers are stronger. Yeah. So there's this phenomenon of uh, these uh, people coming by the orphanage and saying, I'm going to give you cake. Make sure my husband comes home. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so uh, these just, you know, put the vibes out. Anybody yeah. can do that, but so, all right. So these little girls, uh, they, uh, yeah, they're little, they're, they're like, little kids. like six to 10. Yeah. Those little girls and they're, 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 they're trying to just get by in this really weird system, and they don't understand half the things the nuns are complaining to them about. There's a bit where they're allowed to listen to the radio, like, once oh, every but, so often. But because it's secular music. Well, initially, they're just listening to, like, like the news. Like, everyone's just saying, yeah, everything's going great for Italy in World War Two, And mm. we're like, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> But... What they discover, one of them discovers, she, she like drops something, and if the nun finds she dropped it, she'll get in trouble. Mm. So when the nun has to leave the room for a minute, she leaves her spot in line 
to pick up the thing. And in so doing, she adjusts the radio frequency by accident. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And this causes the radio to suddenly pick up secular music in a very Cole Porter, kiss, hmm. kiss, hug, hug kind of hmm. romance kind of way. And w- but it, it's, it's like, baby, I want to shake it all night. And, you know, that's, yeah, this is a generic love the, the, stuff. The kids don't know anything, but for the, yeah. the, the mother's superior, yeah. this is incredibly salacious. And again, this is popular music in like the early 40s. It's hmm. it's, it's, it's no one's. Like oh, there learning were, horrible. Excuse things. me, there were plenty body songs in the 1940s. I realize this was not necessarily on the radio. I guess not. I, my you, point... you saw Babylon. You know that's, that the song oh, they sing in Babylon. Um, oh, that, there was, there that, was that, that, that was a real old standard. There from was tawdryness. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I just feel like a lot of like the the stuff that would be on the radio would probably be a little less yeah, brilliant. Yes. Yeah, you're not going to get the Babylon. I don't even want to say the title of the Babylon maybe, song. Maybe I'm being but, uh, maybe I'm being a little naive. But in any yeah. case, they hear this song and it's pretty generic. I want to kiss you, kind of love stuff. And the nuns are horrified and they wash all their mouths out. And yeah, with, with soap. And, yeah. yeah. And one of the nuns is saying, like, okay, does everyone remember who was singing along with that song? I watched that song and there's one girl who wasn't singing along. It said that I wasn't singing along. And she's like, well, do you know the lyrics? And she's like. I guess I remember the lyrics and she's like so you wanted to, to sing and dance and that makes you worse and that makes you wicked and bad and she's like well what the hell am I supposed to yeah, do with that? That, that that's another uh, there's like different again the, the Catholic hierarchy thing yeah. there's levels of sin yeah uh, some sins are worse than others there's yeah. venial sins and mortal sins yeah it uh, gets really complicated honestly and, and uh, I, I remember uh hearing a stand-up comedian who was raised Catholic talking about yeah. how, um, you know, theft, thou shalt not steal. Yeah. Uh, clearly that's a sin. Mm. But you steal a pencil, that's pretty bad. Uh-huh. But surely that's not as bad as, like, stealing the crown jewels. Mm-hmm. And so he asked his his Catholic teachers, like, well, so where's where's the line between venial mm. and mortal sins when it comes to theft? And they said $20. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just so need to have an answer. It's like, yeah, okay, $20. Well, it's the difference between petty am, am theft I, and grand larceny. Am I paying taxes on that? Like, if I steal something that's nineteen ninety nine, mm-hmm. is that venial sin or, like, if you incorporate? And also the rules of, of Catholic dogma can shift over time, and mm. things that used to be considered a mortal sin are now not that big a deal, like yeah. eating meat on Fridays. Yeah. There yeah. are people, George Carlin had a bit about this. There are probably still people in hell for eating meat on Fridays, and they don't know that the law has been changed, and it's not really fair. I like to think that that, that they were released and they're in heaven now. <laughs> here's we're sorry. sorry. Um, here's a here's a here's, here's a ham. Here, well, here's an eternity of bliss. How about that? Uh-huh. Yeah, the, the, and he, some meat. Heaven. When, yeah, and some meat. As much meat as you want. So in any case, uh, it all boils down to uh, there's a woman who is very rich, and she decides to get this really decadent cake. Mm. And uh, all the girls are really Which excited. Looks amazing. It looks it's gorgeous. like this, this bubbly red thing that she oh, makes. They, yeah. they said it like it has like sixty eggs in it, which is, sounds absurd to me, but it's a pretty big cake. But I don't know if it's that big. And chocolate so dark that light cannot escape its surface. <laughs> um, frosting so fine it dissolves into an eye stinging mist. Because <laughs> it contains ten pounds of butter per cubic inch. <laughs> Um, so the girls are really looking forward to this cake, but when it comes down time to have the cake, the mother superior is like, I could give the girls the cake, mm. or I could give this cake to the cardinal and curry favor for our orphanage, because he's corrupt, I guess. 
That's the that's the fundamental implication. <laughs> uh, so she tries to convince all the little girls to like give up the cake out of the goodness of their hearts. Mm. But the one girl she said was bad is like, well, I'm bad, so I don't care. You, you said it was bad. And she's <laughs> like, shit, they got me. <laughs> and it's all about this like so they, this this corner they've backed themselves into. Yeah, so the, the the climax is pretty funny without giving it away i don't want to give it away but yeah they they, they finally cut into the cake and and we get to see what happens to the cake yeah it's um frankly i think it's longer than it needs to be i really don't think this needed to be a full 40 minutes yeah it's about 35 i I guess 30 with credits but um yeah uh, 37 total yeah it's it's it's, it's, it has like full film credits though because they made a real movie it's it's a um, big production like it feels like a real movie like like almost like a um, a, a test case for like a proof of concept one of the the three amigos produced this one alfonso Um, coron it was coron yeah Yeah. Um, and and it has that kind of uh freewheeling feeling to it that Mm -hmm. you know of of the sort of neo-mexican cinema even though it's not a mexican film it's, Uh, it's almost so twee in some regards it feels like wes anderson was an influence a little bit. It's not not quite as mannered as that, no. but I understand the mood you're talking yeah. about. Uh, it, it's delightful. It's I mean, cute. It's, it's a little giggle fest. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the girls narrate the movie directly to the camera, so it's really self-aware. Yeah. Uh, there's really beautiful locations uh, mm. in sort of this convent. It's shot really beautifully. Yeah. Um, it's a good short. It's, it's one of the only shorts that feels like complete unto itself yeah. rather than set up punchline. The, yeah, it feels, and, and I think that's the one thing it does gain because of its length is that it's allowed to just kind of have incidental things and moments. There's yeah. a joke about a mustache that doesn't really go anywhere. Mm. It's just but it's, there it's just for a, flavor. A, a fun thing, yeah. yeah. And, and it's it's rare that a short film will think to do that. Yeah, just to add something just for its own sake because mm. time is at a premium. Um, so this is a really sweet short. I, I like this short a lot. I'd recommend it to anyone. It's not my favorite right. of the bunch, but it's very well made. Uh, so kudos to them. Uh, the next short... Uh, is a short called Night Ride. It's a Norwegian film mm. uh, about a woman who, in the middle of the night, or, you know, at night, mm. uh, is waiting for uh, the... A bus. A bus, yeah. basically. Uh, and uh, the bus arrives, and rather than opening the doors for her and letting her in out of the cold, the guy who drives the bus says, yeah, I'm on half-hour break. He's like, well, can I wait inside? It's freezing. And he says, no. Mm. And he just goes and fucks off into a shed somewhere. And she's like, well, I'm getting on the bus. And so she does. And she starts driving it. <laughs> she, she just starts poking around at buttons. I don't know why. She just starts mm. poking around at buttons. And then it starts going on its own. Mm. And she's like, well, I guess I drive the bus now. <laughs> she, she, starts, she knows take, the route and takes people up and drops them off. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, that itself is a kind of a cute premise. Yeah. But then it goes in a weird, dark place. Well, what happens is uh, there, there's some ruffians on the bus. Yeah. Uh, there's... Um, a young man begins flirting with a young woman, uh, and in in so doing, knocks off the young woman, young woman's wig, and uh-huh. it turns out uh, she's a trans woman. Yeah, uh, that the young man uh, gets really transphobic about all of a sudden. Yeah, he hadn't picked up starts, on that. Yeah. She figured he knew, uh, and now he starts accosting her very loudly. Yeah, on the bus and, and like stealing her wig, and another yeah. like a buddy gets it. They start bullying this poor woman. Yeah, and it starts and, um, getting worse and worse. And and the driver, the woman who is now the driver, keeps trying to tell him to stop, but yeah. he keeps saying, "You're the driver, just shut up and drive." Yeah, and, and uh, it and it's also worth uh, mentioning that uh, she's a, a little person. Yeah, and so she has. She can't intimidate this guy. Yeah, there's she, no... There, he, she she can't, a, like, overpower this guy. If, yeah. If, like, she wants to confront him, but yeah. she's afraid to. Yeah. And uh, 
eventually she does. Yeah, it, it takes a while. There's mm-hmm. this because that's really ultimately what the story is about. The cute setup aside, mm-hmm. this is a story about someone suddenly finding themselves in a position of unexpected authority in a way, mm-hmm. where it is kind of your responsibility to do the right thing. Yeah, uh, and they don't know how to do that in this situation where they could be physically threatened as much or more than anybody. Mm. So what do you do? How do you resolve this? And the resolution they come to is a little tidy for my taste, right. but it makes sense. Well, it's, you know? it, it's somebody stands up for somebody else yeah. and it turns out well. Yeah. Um, and the bullies get uh, not a violent comeuppance, but they get a little bit of a comeuppance. They, they will be inconvenienced. Frankly, I think they get off really light. Is my is my maybe that's my biggest grievance with the yeah. movies. I, I appreciate that the thing I like about I mean, it as, as much as I'd like to see the bullies get like, smacked in the head with a Stilson wrench. Sure, uh, it's I, I the, the the punishment they get at least is not illegal. The, one, so. the, the moment I like the moment that stuck with me in this movie though wow. actually isn't the ending where the people who deserve to get away well get away mm. well the people yeah. who deserve bad things to happen to them it's implied that bad things will happen to them there's a there's a couple of shots like one or two right at the end where our protagonist is able to do something they decide mm. they're going to take a course of action and you see a couple of shots of the handful of other people on the bus mm-hmm. who were also doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, realizing and that, and that's that's kind of the, the point here yeah. is when when you see an injustice in public. Yeah, how frequently it is that people just sort of let it happen. Yeah, they don't want to get involved, not their business, and uh, and that's where why abuse can continue, especially yeah. if it's in public. And I appreciate that message. And, and that's this, a good message. And yeah, it's a know? great message. It's yeah. that you can stand up and it'll work. It's a very yeah. positive film. And, and that's what it takes. That's how we need to that's mm. how we stop doing this is we stop making it so that the the more people feel like they're allowed to do that in public, the more it will happen in public. Yeah. And it shouldn't happen at all, but we have to prevent it from being normalized. And all of that is really, really great. I, I think if my biggest problem with the movie though is uh, and it's not really a problem per se it just doesn't really fit together very well the setup and the actual point of the movie feel kind of random like we didn't really need Hmm. this really kind of almost fairy tale cute thing about someone accidentally becoming a bus driver like she could have just been the bus driver she could have been the bus driver could have been her first day whatever that would have been fine Instead, it, it it feels like we took the the weirdest path to get here. Mm. And on one hand, okay, you spiced it up a smidge. Yeah. But I don't really feel it coheres as well as it could. Mm. What do you think? Um, no, I think it's fine. I think uh, it, okay. it does sort of set, uh, set up because at the end of the film, and I guess this is a bit of a spoiler, um, the, the bullies end up on the bus uh, and the and our main characters end up off of it. Yeah. And the idea is, okay, now it's changed hands, and that was always kind of a little bit untoward and bad, and that's what he's going to get busted for. Mm. Uh, so, you know, cosmic justice there. So yeah. I, I think there was a little bit of a, a, a through line. I guess. I, know, I find it a little thin, but the overall the overall vibe of it is I'm good. not saying it's great, but I'm yeah. saying that there's at least a reason. Uh, well, the short that I thought was particularly great mm. uh, is the last one in alphabetical order. Uh, it's uh, The Red Suitcase. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a story of a 16-year-old uh, Muslim girl uh, who has flown on her own uh-huh. uh, to Luxembourg from Iran. 
Uh, and when we meet her, she has just come off the plane, and she's kind of clutching her suitcase is right, as you can imagine from the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's clutching her suitcase, and she keeps like peeking out into like the airport from like that corridor. Mm-hmm. Like you, you get off the plane, you're in a corridor, and then there's the airport proper. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't want to go out into the airport proper because she sees someone out there. And we don't understand what the plot is yet. And she is accosted by a couple of security guards mm-hmm. who, uh, well, yeah. obviously they profile her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they insist on looking inside her suitcase. And what they find is art, art supplies, supplies yeah, and clothes. Like... G- perfectly generic stuff. And they try to say, like, why are you, are, are you okay? Why, why don't you want to go out there? And what we realize is that she has been sold to an older man to become his wife. Yeah, she's betrothed. So this guy who is ready to marry a 16-year-old girl who he's presumably never met, yeah, as yeah. if that makes it a worse. And, and he's, and like, he's there with a bouquet. Like, yeah. He's ready to welcome his bride. Yeah. Um, she has. She wants none of this, and she's in this weird moment where clearly her father put her on the plane, mm-hmm. but... There's this brief period between getting off the plane and seeing this guy who she's supposed to marry where she's free. Mm. And mm. she has to decide what she's going to do, and she yeah, decides yeah. to try to get away. Yeah, and it, it takes all of her money. Yeah. She, she actually gives up a lot in, in over lot. the course of this movie. A lot, uh, yeah. But yeah, the, the idea is she needs to try to sneak around the airport. And it takes place in this like really sort of finite space at yeah. the Luxembourg airport. So there's like a single terminal and there's a bus outside. That's yeah. where all the action takes place. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we it's it's almost like a thriller, like something oh, like 24 where you're like going to the bathroom and trying to change your appearance. Yeah, just uh, just by taking off like her hijab, she mm-hmm. like all of a sudden like he won't recognize her. Mm-hmm. He won't assume that that's her because yes. she wouldn't go out like that. Mm-hmm. And so she's able to hear him really close by as he's looking for her mm-hmm. and seeing the situation change and get more intense while she's like right in plain sight. And it's incredibly intense. Mm. Like, it's incredibly suspenseful, and you keep just hoping for the best and it leads and it, to a, another little, confrontation on a bus yeah, a, a lot of a lot of close calls a lot of like yeah. somebody hiding and the camera pans away and then they pan back and they're gone and you don't know what happened yeah. uh it, it's shot like a thriller it is um they at least spared us like the suspenseful music yeah which i think actually made tried. it more tense oh, totally. uh, by by keeping it kind of silent yeah the uh, it culminates in a shot mm. that i think is uncanny there's a really incredible final shot. Oh, the, uh, the, there's like the a, final zoom on the, the yeah. ad. Yeah. It turns out there's been an ad in the background this whole time. And it's a woman's face and she's like... It's a makeup ad. She's yeah. smiling as she's promoting uh, makeup. And as we zoom in on this seemingly incidental thing, the image ever so subtly shifts... And I don't know how they did it. <laughs> I rewatched it multiple times to try uh-huh. to figure out... Is it CG? It's... Was it always like that? Is it one of those like uh, 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 sort of optical illusion things where if you get close, it looks mm-hmm. like Marilyn Monroe, but if you get far away, it looks like Albert Einstein, that kind of thing? And I don't honestly know exactly how they did it. But the what we get out of that is the idea of people, and specifically so, well, women's... Women being sold. Women yeah. being sold and women suffering in public while people don't notice. There's mm-hmm. so many incidental bystanders in this story mm. but it's they not don't like, know what's going on it's not like uh what was it night not not night ride night night ride yeah the night ride yeah the night ride um yeah. where uh the bystanders are sort of implicated uh the yeah. bystanders are just sort of bystanders well they don't they don't yeah. they don't know they don't yeah. know anything going on but there's a whole 
harrowing story of the human trafficking, basically, that is going on under their noses, mm. and people are missing it. Um, I liked it until the last shot, and then I loved it. I thought it was such <laughs> an uncanny way to end a short. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would recommend this short to anybody. Like, it's just impeccably well done. There really isn't, like, a flaw in it that I can see. And mm. the the way that they chose to conclude it is just a really interesting piece of cinema. Like, a really interesting piece of cinematic storytelling. Mm. I haven't really seen a lot of movies try to end with something that subtle yet damning it almost reminded me of the end of cachet in a way oh yeah, where, like, yeah you have to actually be paying attention to that final shot to get what's coming at you you, you. you have to be paying a lot of fucking attention to yeah. that final shot but like, if you, have you to do scan you, it hard but if you do it's the whole fucking movie yeah, yeah and that's how i felt about the red suitcase so this is easily my favorite of the, of okay. the four i, I think five, I, sorry i think i liked le pupil yeah um just it's very likable yeah well it's it's likable it's light it has a lot of it has a lot going on it yeah. is long, but uh, for, as shorts go. Yeah. But uh, l like I said, it, it feels like... Um, I always appreciate when a short can feel complete unto itself yeah. rather than uh, be sort of like either a mini story, like a shortened version okay. of a feature. Yeah, or, or a sketch. Or, yeah, or a sketch where there's like a, a simple setup and a simple yeah. payoff. Uh, it's, it's that's one that actually has yeah. like... A, as much sprawl as a short film can. Yeah, yeah, I, I agreed. Fair mm. enough, but I think uh, I think Greg Kuzukis as well. If you had to guess, which film would win? Mm. Uh, I, I usually the most miserable one wins, <laughs> and I guess I guess that would be Ivalu. But that, the movie's a little too abstract, I think, I, I, to win. I, think I don't think it's going to. It's not a gut puncher. Yeah. yeah, for me, the one I this is my theory. I feel like the the live action short. That feels the most like a mini movie mm. has a leg up. Doesn't always win, but usually does. Yeah. Um, so for me, I would say it's probably either the Red Suitcase or Le Pupil. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Yeah. So I don't it's know be which one, one of those two. I, if I were to hazard a guess, I'd say Le Pupil is just sort of it's. it's well, it also has like celebrity behind it. Uh, yeah, a little. Of, yeah. Moron. I I don't that that shouldn't make a difference, but I suppose it might. Um, I'll be rooting for the red suitcase, but offhand right now, this could change before I uh -huh. give my predictions, but based on my initial viewing, I would say Lippy Peel probably has a slight edge okay. over everything. Uh, and this brings us to the best animated short films. Yay! Uh, interesting crop here. Very different movies for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this, uh, this category uh -huh. has one of my favorite films of the year. Uh-huh. And it also has one of my least favorite films of the year. I'm very curious. <laughs> it's a really, really great one. Mm -hmm. And there's one that sucks. There's one that I initially thought was pretty good. And then it got worse and uh. worse and worse. And I'm wondering if it's the same one. All right. Uh, let's start in alphabetical order. Mm -hmm. uh, the film is called... The first film is called The Boy, The Mole, mm. The Fox, and The Horse. Uh, this film sucks! Okay, good, we're on the same page. <laughs> we are on the same page, hey, because um, this this is the kind of movie that is so in-your-face mm. about how meaningful and powerful it is that it ceases to have any meaning very quickly. Yeah, uh, it's it's about a boy. He's yeah. lost in the woods. He uh, meets a mole. The mole is obsessed with cakes. Mm. And already you want to barf. Okay. Uh, it is It is so... <laughs> So sweet yeah. and treacly. Like, um, you remember that Dorothy Parker review of Winnie the Pooh? Yeah. that That's where my head was Every at. time I hear about Hummy, I want yeah. to flow up. I want up. to flow up. Yeah. It was here, dear reader, that, that I wanted to flow up. And I just wanted to flow up all over this movie. Uh -huh. uh, I was with it for the mole. 
Okay. For the mole, I was with it because the mole is cute. It's got like a really adorable design. It's very mm. simple. It's almost just like an oval, four circles for feet, and like mm. a cone for a face. And like yeah. there's something kind of abstractly cute about it. And when it was just the kid lost and this very hobbity kind of mole, all mm. he cares about is just being gentle and sweet. I was kind of with it for a little bit. But then they run into a fox, and of course they... The fox is in a snare, and it's going to bite them, but you'll die if I don't free you. And, yeah, so and we then, save then the they fox become and, friends. And, and, then, uh, and then we run into a, a horse. Mm. Uh, these characters have like actually played by famous people, Gabriel Byrne, Idris mm. Elba. Um, and, and the horse is, says, oh, well, we just need to keep on going and mm-hmm. be gentle. And mm-hmm. Isn't it keen that... Life is so gentle and life is so beautiful for 35 straight fucking minutes. No. It's like reading a, It's like if a greeting card were a novel. It's Okay, so you ever read like a picture book as a kid and mm. it's like uh, it all leads to some kind of simple but reassuring message yeah. about family or home or friendship. But there's, that but last, there's a journey along the way. Journey, yeah. But the last page is the thing that just says it out loud because... Mm. It's for kids, and kids need to just kind of have things spelled out. You want to be too yeah. subtle. You want to make sure the, the message is clear. So imagine, the last... a, imagine a book of nothing but that last page. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. my point. <laughs> Every single line of dialogue, especially from the animals, uh, is just a platitude. Mm. It's like, I think that when you're with friends, everything is nice and they say it's slow like Mm. that so you can really milk it and they're in like this very pretty kind of like yeah i saw the snowman too when i was Mm. a kid kind of like (laughs) sweet kind of backdrop and like the the snowman is an excellent short which i I think won i think i won an oscar too it might have it should have um but um it's all the reassurance and none of the things that make you earn that and make Uh, that feel like that's the culmination of a journey it's just Nothing but platitude. Let, let me. Th- the you've read Harold and the Purple Crayon, right? Oh, but, a long time yeah, ago. Classic, remember, classic yeah. children's book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Harold, little boy, has a purple crayon and draws the story around him. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. he's actually like physically altering reality with his crayon. It's like I'm, I want to. Oh no, I'm I'm scared of the thing I drew. My hand shakes. Oh, that creates water, and he falls into water, and then he draws a boat and gets in the boat. Sure. Uh, draws a hot air balloon, draws a pie, and eats it. Yeah. He gives the pie to his moose that he draws, and then he ends up drawing a city, finding his own room, mm-hmm. draw, like drawing a window around, like next to the mm. the moon. And then ends up going to sleep. And of course, you read it to a kid at bedtime. Yeah. So it's about you were in bed this whole time. This is kind of a dream. Yeah. And that's really sweet. News. It is sweet. And now yeah. you, you sort it of drift sweet. off to bed. But there was this big adventure. There's like yeah. little modulations throughout. Yeah. Uh, the journey is just as important as the ending. Well, the, without the and journey, uh, the ending doesn't mean yeah. anything. There's nothing in the journey in the boy ellipsis horse uh, that is worth doing they're just walking along there's not like a variation of fun experiences Mm -hmm. it's all these little miniature catharses that are all really cheap and trite aphorisms yeah even the the one bit that is kind of drama is like will the fox try to eat the mole or will we Mm. save the fox from like its snare then the fox eats the mole from drowning but that's right at the beginning and even that's Kind of old hat, obvious and it's, stuff. And it's a and brief then, moment. It's brief, and then it's, it's not like there was a lot of tension. And then it's just, to... it's just wandering through the woods, mm. saying reassuring things slowly. Mm. And I'm like, it's like you want to pop a quaalude, 
<laughs> you don't need a quaalude. This is this is this movie is a quaalude. Yeah, this movie is just chill vibes, and it's it's illustrated rather attractively. Mm-hmm. It's it's lovely to look at, but to listen to, it's like um, it's like your eyes roll so much mm-hmm. that they like unwind <laughs> they like roll they, out of your head they just and... screw out of your head and you have to go find them and then they say something reassuring and you get mad and you squish them like i appreciate that this is clearly intentional this is clearly mm. intended to create this very enveloping sort of atmosphere of reassurance but it does so so much that it no longer feels like it connects to anything yeah yeah there's there's a, a certain kind of ultra sentimental mm-hmm. art and storytelling out yeah. there it can be which good. Uh, I, it can be good i suppose from like a technical perspective mm-hmm. but when every frame uh, and i'm going to quote the film the bad and the beautiful here because i've actually taken this with me into a lot of films yeah if every frame is a climax you've made a bad film mm-hmm. you can make every single frame of your movie an exciting uh dynamic piece of filmmaking but that's not the way filmmaking works that's mm-hmm. not the way storytelling works not every moment is the big moment yeah everything needs to be modulated yeah uh and when you fill your uh your film or mm. your art. I've seen this in a lot of like comic strips, kind of cozy comics. Yeah. And you're just sort of dwelling in this sentimental headspace. Mm-hmm. You're not really making art. You're just sort of like evoking a single moment of uh, uh, like shallow comfort. Yeah. That isn't really reassuring in any kind of meaningful no. way. I actually find myself rejecting it mm. outright. And I'm sure some people need that sometimes. God knows I need reassurance. Mm. Um, and, I, and I would hesitate to say it's not art. I just find it very shallow art. Yeah. And I think that there is something, there is something to be said for laid back, mm. calming, like a, like an herbal tea of well, a, of a, of a yeah. film. But there are ways to do that. Uh, I, okay. I mean, if you don't want to have a bunch of incident or drama mm. or antagonism, fine. But there are ways to do that that have modulation. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Jacques Tati. Okay. Jacques Tati yeah. made, uh, watch Monsieur Hulot's Holiday from the 1950s. I've actually never seen uh, it. You're, you're really odd. I know. It's, 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 it's on it's my a, list. It's an amazing, amazing film. I'm sure I'm, well, but I'm sure I'll love it. It's it's about this guy, Monster Hulot, played by Jacques Tati, mm. who goes to a, goes on vacation. Yeah. Monster Hulot's holiday. And that's it. That's the yeah. movie. Uh, and there's like l- little weird comedic bits mm. that are more sort of tiny moments of observation rather than broad slapstick climaxes. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in that movie where a little boy is holding two ice cream cones and he goes to a door with a doorknob. And how is he going to open the door? And he grabs it with the same hand he's holding an ice cream cone, and he starts turning, and he turns very slowly because it's difficult for him. Uh-huh. And you are looking at that ice cream it's cone. It's pure suspense. It's like, that ice cream cone's going to fall. fall off. <laughs> and he turns it, and he pushes it open, and he turns it back, and the ice cream cone didn't fall, and you breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> it's this big climactic moment yeah. of almost no incident. Yeah. And even... it's fine to have these little kind of mm-hmm. non-incidental kind of halcyon almost nostalgic moments sure and you can construct a whole movie out of them sure that's not what this short is doing no this short is actually like hammering you over and over again with its message in its dialogue Mm -hmm. and it is insufferable it is insufferable it might have worked if it was very short 
but it's not. Maybe a minute, yeah. but it's 35 minutes. It's 35 minutes, and it gets really repetitive yeah. real fast. And so many bits, like when there are little things in the short that like that are revealed where the horse says, actually, blank. I'm not going to run it for you, because there's not much happens. Actually, yeah. I could blank, and I could do this all along. And I'm like, well, then you're an asshole for not mentioning <laughs> that earlier. What the hell is the matter with you? Yeah, Wait, I mean, that could have been really important. My God, what are you doing? Um, this is a movie that declares its greatness without actually earning its greatness. And yeah, I'm with you. I, I was with it for a couple of minutes and then it just never had offered anything else. Hmm. Absolutely annoying. <laughs> All right. The next one uh, in alphabetical order is um, is a very unusual and very short Mm. animated short called The Flying Sailor. Yeah, this is a, a Canadian short. Um, Canada mm-hmm. uh, the, has been very good about funding a lot of uh, its own animation. There's a lot of state-funded Canadian animation uh, out there. I've seen a lot of great Canadian animation. Mm. Uh, if you're interested in short, like, new animated shorts, you're going to run into the Cana- the Canadian Animation Board eventually. Uh, and it's based on a true story of an explosion that took place in Halifax Harbor. In 1917, like yeah. a really gigantic dynamite explosion. Yeah. Uh, two ships carrying dynamite collided and they exploded. And uh, it's actually from the perspective of a sailor that was nearby. Just happened to be on the dock, just yeah. walking around, minding his own business, smoking the, a cigarette. Yeah, smoking a cigarette and the bomb goes off and it's his experience, uh, what he sort of experienced for the next five minutes. Uh-huh. And... That involved being thrown into the air uh-huh. and flying into the abstract spaces. And it kind of just sort of follows him as he turns into the flying sailor. And of course, yeah, yeah it turns into something very um, uh, well, symbolic. Well, it becomes, uh, it, it goes from being like a literal thing that happened to him where he literally was just thrown staggeringly far there and survived, by the way. This is a true story. It's fascinating. Um, just flown c- across towns. Just absolutely ludicrous how far he was flung away. Uh, and that's took a long enough that he had time to think. <laughs> and then he had time to have like a proper near-death experience and like come so, close to touching the infinite. Mm-hmm. And then he fucking landed. Well, yeah. yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, commu- life flashed before his eyes. We got a few flashbacks. Yeah. He communed with God. Yeah. And then... And that was it for him. You ever hear the story... Uh, there used to be these uh, ads on TV for these, like, time-life books that were all about, like, bizarre incidents. Oh, the like, true story like, stuff, who yeah. really built the pyramids? Were we visited by aliens thousands oh, of years I, ago? I, I found one of those in a library Ooh. once, so I only have one. It, it, it's the UFO. Oh, UFO I would love uh, that. Volume. That's awesome. I always wanted those. But there yeah, was there, one... There's, there's a, there were, like, eight... You have one, too, don't you? No. Like, Astral Projection? Oh, if you, I did it... If you I, do, if, it's right here on the... Well, that's I my see, part. I see it from where I'm sitting. And it's my part. Oh, okay. Uh, I yeah, actually didn't realize we had that. I need to, uh, I need to crack that it's open. It's called Mystic Masters over okay. there. I see it I, on your shelf. I need to yeah. crack that open, actually. I didn't realize we had yeah, that. Yeah, these tall, here this whole tall time. very thin, black-bound books. That they look very cool the, and the official. Ti- Time Life books were offering for mail order through the television mm-hmm. in, like, 1987, around there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, and, and you could subscribe. And they're, of course, massively expensive. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if, if your friend had one, it's like, ooh, you yeah. ponied well, up to get I, these... Mystic books. I bring it up because when they would advertise it on TV, they would talk about strange things that happened just to compel you to want to read further. And one of the things they talked about was a man who fell from an airplane, like high in the sky, landed, bounced twice, and survived. 
I mean, I'm glad you bounced. Otherwise, I wouldn't understand how anything worked physics-wise. But, like, survived that. Yeah. The human body is a miracle. <laughs> the human body is a very <laughs> well, strange thing. You hear stories of, yeah, like, you go to, like, the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. Yeah. It's like, and a guy was next to an explosion, and a pipe embedded itself through his brain, uh-huh. like, in through his chin and out through the top of his head. And he lived! And, and they cut the ends off, and he just had a tube through his head the rest of his life. And he was still... Like he had headaches. The human, but, uh, the human yeah. body wants to live. Yeah, but but then it's you also so hear weird. another story of like somebody sneezes and they die. I know. So <laughs> I, I don't understand anything anymore. So just the the sheer fact of the story is fascinating in and of itself. So I, the I believe it. Guy was blown sure. miles away, landed safely. Sure. I mean, <clears throat> I wouldn't believe it if I heard it happened every day. But yeah. like you heard, I hear that happened once. Sure, life is weird. But the way that it is presented is pretty fantastic and intense, mm. honestly. It's a really, really good short. And it's cool to have a short that, again, that isn't trying to tell you a joke or isn't mm. trying to tell you a fable. It's, it's trying do, to convey it an via, experience. Yeah, via yeah. style. And it's, yeah. and it's a good style. It's sort of hand-drawn stuff. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. So uh, that's mm. definitely that's the shortest one of the lot. Uh, the next one is called Ice Merchants. Mm. Uh, this I'm, is kind of a fantasy film. Yeah, I'm very fond of Ice Merchants. It's a very, very strange piece. It's about uh, a Portuguese animated film about a father and his son, and they are living in a house that is hanging off the side of a sheer precipice on a very high mountain. Yeah. And what they and do... it's frozen up there. It's frozen yeah. up there. And what they do for a living is uh, they put ice in their, like, cooler... They put water water in the cooler, cooler, wait for it to turn into ice, they smash it up into ice cubes, they parachute down to the the ground, Uh take a motorcycle. They they dive off the cliff. It's a little teeny shack on the side of the mountain. And uh, the the son, uh, the, mm. one of the first shots is uh, him swinging. They have a swing, yeah. hanging off the bottom of the house, yeah, over and, nothing, and yeah, just like, sort of swings out into this you know void, thousands of you know a mile below. Yeah. So every day they make ice, mm. they parachute down to the ground, losing their hats in the process. They go into town. They sell the ice. They buy new hats. And then they take a little elevator back up to their house. I don't know why they couldn't take the elevator down, but they don't. Um, and then that's their day. That's their routine. I don't know what the fuck kind of economy this is. That's <laughs> well, a terrible system. Again, it's a, it's a fantasy it thing. Is. But it, you, the, was, you start um, questioning it a little bit. Like, how? Wouldn't it be easier to just get a chin strap for the hats at least? Uh, and if the, the hats come back, there's yeah, actually like a bit of a, a twist and a plot in it, which yeah. is less interesting than the setup. Yeah. But uh, I was very much reminded of a, a Japanese film uh, from mm. the 60s by Kaneto Shindo, mm. who also did uh, Kuroneko and, uh, and Onibaba, okay. uh, called The Naked Island, I know which was a dialogue-free movie about a family, a mother, a father, and two sons, who uh, just farm on this little island out in the middle of nowhere. And their schedule is so strict they have to get up at a certain time. They have to water things at a certain time. They have to collect things at a certain time mm. so they can get into a boat at a certain time, sell things at a certain time, mm. have maybe a few minutes for a nice meal, and then head home, and then they, they do it all again the next day. Yeah, it's all a pattern. And yeah. uh, The Naked Island is about what happens when a tragedy befalls this family yeah. and how how that might interrupt their their life. Yeah. Um, not not like vo- not just emotionally, but vocationally. Like just because you have a routine. Yeah. yeah. This, your life works a certain way, and anything that can so disrupt the, that can be yeah, catastrophic. Th- th- this is also about that kind of workaday routine, uh, but it just happens to take place in this fantasy world where we get ice from a, 
a cabin up, like, yeah. clinging to the side of a mountain. It's, it's a wonderful, and, fanciful idea, and I love the way uh, this this movie is shot in very extreme perspectives like every character is ex- like all you get, legs you get, a, you get a lot of depth yeah. and yeah. length in this movie yeah you, yeah you really feel the height you really feel how like you're really just tight up against the wall of this mountain when you're in this house like you really do get a sense of the bizarre geographic location that they're in and how it would feel to be there um it's it's uh, illustrated with very minimal palette Hmm. Uh, what is it like just black, white, yellow, and orange it's, or red? It, it, yeah. It's like just a, a couple colors. Yeah. Uh, and it's very striking. I'm very fond of it. I haven't seen a, a short that looks quite like this in like a really long time. Yeah. Well, what I appreciate um, about the short, all of the shorts this year actually, mm-hmm. is that, um, they're all, there's no like slick CGI mm-hmm. sort of like Pixar style short. That's where true. Yeah. It's, uh, trying to go for something very conventionally narrated everything looks unique uh and yeah i i I feel that way about all these shorts how they each have a very striking aesthetic um it's kind of hard to say well i actually know what my favorite one is okay Um, the only one that doesn't have a striking aesthetic again is the is boy horse um yeah which is it's still attractive it's not a a bad looking movie it's It's just not very interesting it's uh it was put up by apple tv which means it probably had the biggest budget it was was made by bad robot Oh, yeah, J.J. Yeah, Abrams yeah, yeah. Production Company. So, yeah, they had, so, they had some so the, resources So, yeah, the, the designs uh, are actually very... You said you liked the mole. I thought the boy was, like, the most boring. It's like, oh, the boy's really boring. It's just Christopher Robin. It is just, just Christopher yeah. Robin, yeah. So, um, but all the others, yeah, they're, they're actually, like, trying to go with some kind of unusual aesthetic, and I yeah. appreciate that. Uh, another, a, a variety of aesthetics, actually, mm-hmm. are employed in the next film, My Year of Dicks. And no, <laughs> it is not, like, a cute thing where it's like, I knew a bunch of guys named Richard. Like, no, it is about... It's about penises. It's about a teenage uh, girl who's decided that she is ready to have sex, and she decides over the course of one year, this year I'm going to lose my virginity, I'm going to meet some guy, I'm going to have my whirlwind romance, it's going to be special, or at yeah, least it's going to be sexy. She's 15. Yeah, and, so uh, she's, yeah. she's very naive about it, but she's very gung-ho. And... The film is pretty long. It's like twenty five minutes, something like that. Uh, it's it, it it is pretty long, but it's it's told in five chapters. Yeah, it's a it's, series it's, of vignettes. It's like five shorts, and each yeah. one is about uh, one of her attempts. Yeah, like, like her, one guy, one of the almost, pot- one of the potential guys yeah, that she was like, she was like, eyeballing and a, thinking of sleeping. with. A guy she almost uh, had sex with, and each story uh, is told in slightly different animation styles. There's mm-hmm. one that is told in almost an anime style for a lot of it because it's all very enthusiastic and sailor yeah, moony. Yeah, it's about her mood, and yeah, uh, this is like. First of all, and it's not just because it's shot in Texas, but maybe largely because it takes place in Texas. Mm. It has a Linklater vibe to it, yeah. where there's a lot of conversational stuff and little details mm. that uh, the filmmaker bothers to throw, uh, throw in. Yeah. The the, sec- the second dick uh, that she goes after was a, a movie theater employee. Yeah. And uh, they wanted to go to a movie theater that was playing uh, some piece of tripe that they didn't want to see. But also Peter Greenaway's The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover, yeah. which they sneak into because it's an NC-17 the, rated uh, film. The, I forget what, they wanted to go see something, and the only th- it turns out because there's only one theater in town it only has two screens uh-huh. that one week later that movie they wanted to see is out and all that's available is The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover and House Party 2. That's right, it was House Party 2. <laughs> Which you couldn't remember what they wanted to see but anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she she goes there with her two best friends and uh-huh. the best friend is like, he recurs through every yeah. one of the shorts. And she's trying um, to like have sex with one of the guys who works there who's going to get mm-hmm. them in 
after hours. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and he's depicted as like this sort of like dangerous Jean Luc Godard type. Like he's got a cigarette and he's mm. all very artistic. And the yeah. way she uh, animates him is that she's. Uh, yeah, like he like changes shape and turns into this yeah. kind of auteur, yeah. and, uh, and then yeah. eventually you realize he's just a dumb kid who doesn't know what he's doing. He, he and he's just, not slick at all. Just wants to have sex with her in like the broom closet. Yeah, it's completely like... unromantic and yeah. shitty. Um, this is a movie that is again it's based on vignettes. Not all the vignettes are created equal. There's one vignette mm. that honestly, if this was the whole movie, uh. I would have absolutely loved it. It's where she sneaks out to go to a party, mm. and she ends up meeting a guy. And because her best friend who drove her there had to leave early because her mom found out, mm. she's stranded and no one can give her a ride home. Oh, is this the straight edge guy? This is the straight the edge straight, guy. Yeah, I'm okay. not going to ruin how this one ends. But uh, this, this ends with her almost having sex with a guy. And then as she well, is she finally... almost has sex with each one of these guys. Yeah, but like she comes like, very, very yeah. close. And then after as she's driven home, she finds out something about him that disgusts her <laughs> so much. And rightfully so. Right? This yeah, isn't like yeah. a weird judgy thing. Like it's actually like, oh yeah, that that's absolutely horrible and you will never tell anyone this anecdote. I'm amazed you let anyone animate this. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's autobiographical, but... Um, it is. It is autobiographical. Well, uh, then that's we, a hell of an anecdote. We see, in fact, there's uh, even a little bit of footage uh, from mm. 1991 of the writer when she was 15. So this, okay. yeah, this, these I are wasn't like, sure that was autobiographical. I wasn't sure that was yeah. like her or not. Okay, yeah, it's, that's, that's okay. the screenwriter that she appears in the film. Okay, well, that's cool. Um, it, my one issue with this film is that we're dealing with a youthful perspective on virginity. Which is to say, when you're young, it feels like the, uh, really important. And when well, you the, realize that... The, the first time, it's, it's pretty dramatic. Well, it is. It? Yeah, it's, I'm not saying it's not dramatic. Yeah. What I'm saying is that we... For, we, for, for some, for some it oh, isn't. Yeah. But, you know... Yeah, well, the, the idea is it gets built up a lot and it takes on this greater, grand uh, kind of, existential it, significance. And, the, the, uh, and I don't think the movie really wrestles with that in no. an interesting way. I think it ultimately culminates in a... Again, I, if this is the true story, I, I, I don't want to be judgmental about mm-hmm. someone's life, but from a narrative perspective, the way that it culminates is a little like, well, yeah. But it's sweet. It's I think kind it's of great. okay. Yeah. It's, it's okay. Yeah. The rest of it felt, felt so much more... Daring might be pushing it, but it feels like kind of thing you'd see on like liquid television yeah, in the nineties, like a little, little bit more, a little bit little, more, little bit of an edge to yeah, it. Yeah, um, a little bit more striking, yeah, a little bit more it's, original, it's, and it comes. Yeah. The the ending feels comparatively pat to the rest of it. I suppose I feel like so, it's but it's I feel, not the best note. I feel like it's earned. I feel like that's uh, very true to the adolescent experience. I feel it's very frank. Yeah. Uh, it's very open about these kinds of things. It's not afraid to sort of show teens as, uh, you know, as as being messy and you sure. know, and sexual as they are yeah um it, yeah so, so the idea of um i think it actually does dispense with like sort of thematically mm. this idea of and i hate the phrase losing one's virginity yeah like virginity is a quality you have that you suddenly don't after you have sex yeah that's what i mean like um, that's the sort of attitude that the yeah. movie doesn't really address well, but, but it does i think it does in its style and in mm. its frankness because this there, there's also a, a scene where she gets the talk. Oh, and, and it's, it's horrifying! It's like, and scene. she gets like the worst possible talk oh, from my, her mom and her dad. God, that's like, that scene did not and, go where I was expecting. It was and, terrible, and, and it's in a so, good way. Like, and it's so yeah, it's so well yeah. animated about how aghast she feels, like her ears fly off, and she's like yeah. bleeding out her eyes. Like, Dad, yeah. stop talking! Uh, I love the, the animation in this short. It's so yeah. expressive. It's really incredible. Uh, but yeah, the I, idea of. 
like your virginity is something that's kind of precious. So having sex for the first time feels very dramatic because mm-hmm. it's something you haven't done before. Uh, but uh, the the phrase I've tried to start using is uh, making your sexual debut. Mm. It's it's something. It's like stepping out onto a stage. It's something you get to do for the first time. You're not yeah. losing something. There's not a quality yeah. that you're sacrificing. Yeah, there's, no, there's no such thing as fucking purity. Give it up. Uh, yeah. But um, uh, yeah, the idea that you are are you are but you are doing something for the first time. You're yeah. stepping out on the stage. You're st- starting down a new path. And uh, I think that's uh, an attitude thing with this movie that it, yeah. it, that it's communicating that thematically it feels like it really captures a moment mm. like it feels like it captures like a period in someone's life where their perspective about life and mm. sex and the type of life they want to leave and how they're pretty flexible in terms of how actually they want like their sexuality to be expressed mm. they just want to express it yeah they're desperate to express it and that's something I know a lot of people can relate to. And so I think when the animation quality meets that absolute, I, I'm not even going to say earnest, because you can be earnest mm. about something false. It just feels really genuine. Um, when those two things match up, this is one of the best shorts we've got here. It's 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 really it, good. Though. It really is one of my, like... Including all of the features I've seen. This yeah. is one of my favorites of the year. Yeah. Uh, just in terms of how frank it is, about how it, it's about sort of the embarrassed stumbling, about how stylish it is. It's uh, I, I want to watch it again. Sure. I, um, uh, let me look up the name of the filmmaker, because she's That's actually a, a pretty famous animator. Uh, Sarah um, Gunner's daughter. She did the animated sequences for Diary of a Teenage Girl in 2015, which is another very messy coming-of-age movie. All right. Um, um, but, yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, Pamela, uh, Pamela Reb- Ribbon, Ribon. I don't know. Uh, it's one of those. Yeah. yeah, she worked on like Moana and mm. Ralph Breaks the Internet. So she's uh, and mm. she te- she didn't direct. Uh, she hired an Icelandic mm. director uh, named. Um, let me look up her name. Um, As I said it was uh, uh, Sarah, Sarah Gunnarsdotter. Sarah Gunnarsdotter. You did say. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's it's very frank. It's very confessional. And uh, yeah, I just I just loved it. I just loved loved its energy and I loved all its details. It's just so great. Yeah. Uh, and then the last nominee. Uh, is the last one already? Did we're we? on the last one, believe it or not. Uh, this is the last uh, uh, short yeah, film. It's, so. okay. it's an ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it. Mm. Uh, this is the only one that is stop motion animated, mm. uh, and it's done in a really cool way because um, we're seeing the film, but we're seeing it on the animation monitor. Yeah, in the middle of the screen, while in the back we're seeing the the animation stage. Yeah. So if there's so, uh, there's a there's a part of a filmmaking uh, set called the Video Village where everything that you're doing you can just see how it looks through the lens mm. because the way it looks on the set isn't necessarily what's being captured on the lens. So we're seeing that lens, we're seeing that screen, but it's only taking up half the screen and everything around it we're seeing just in slightly out of focus mm. the animate the stop motion animated movie is taking place on that screen and we're seeing in fast motion people coming by and moving yeah, well, all the characters well because uh you know stop motion animation it's 24 frames a second isn't mm. it so you have to uh move the the little maquette those little your mm. little doll take a picture and then move it again and take another picture and do that 20 
24 times for every t- second of film you want. Yeah. If and, you watch uh, some of the Leica movies, a lot of them end with like sequences mm. where you can see the scene play out, but you can also but see the, in fast motion the people around yeah, they the characters did, did, moving. Those. They also shot the same film in like time lapse. So you can actually, yeah. the characters are moving at the rate they would in the film. But yeah, because it takes so long, you see this blur of humanity kind of moving in and like adjusting all the characters. Um, yeah, they did it with um, Missing Link. They, they did, did that in Pinocchio. Did it with Box um, Trolls, and they did it with Box Trolls. Yeah, uh, and uh, this one is this is not incidental. This is actually really important to the story because this all takes place the stop motion part uh, in an office, a very humdrum, boring office where people do telemarketing, and our protagonist is one of the many drones who just works there and is just trying to get his sales numbers up. And he starts noticing little things, like um, for a split second when his boss is talking to him about how he needs to get his numbers up, his mouth disappears. <laughs> He's talking to another guy about, uh, you know, I, I don't know, like, sometimes I question the world around me. And then he realizes that his friend who spends the entire short sitting at his cubicle doesn't have feet or a chair. <laughs> And he because, starts, because he's an animated doll, yeah. he begins to notice that he is himself an animated doll. And this and culminates that, in this big moment where he's going home for the day, and inside the elevator is an ostrich mm. who explains to him, yeah, our whole world is a lie. We're all just part of a big film, aren't mm-hmm. we? And, and uh, he says, like, have you ever been through that supply closet? No. How do you know it's a supply closet? And he, had, I, and he ends up jumping through and like landing in the animation uh, equipment, and yeah, yeah it's, and, and he we see running. like human hands going after him. It's pretty cool. It's really really cool, and it and it ends in a very um, a somewhat dark joke, very sort of Gilliam esque yeah, kind of existential kind of a joke. Yeah, yeah but uh, uh, about about the the, the inherent tragedy mm. of living as an animated character. Mm. Um, it's incredibly well put together. Like it's, it's really clever, slick. and well, you say it's slick, but you know, you think of something like this and like a Leica film. Leica films are incredibly slick. Um, I remember reading an interview with uh, Henry Selick, who directed Wendell and Wild most mm-hmm. recently, and he said that he had to, as an animator, mm-hmm. put like extra seams and like uh, little deliberately include little errors because stop motion animation had become too smooth yeah and was in many cases almost indistinguishable from cg and that yeah. that concerned him uh, as, as an animator because then what's the point it's like okay yeah. I've, I've worked so hard to get stop motion animation to look as good as it does but now it equates a different format and all together yeah. so so we actually like, had to put seams in and i feel like so you can see all of these stop motion animation movies that are done really, really well, and they look they're seamless. Uh, this one looks a little bit deliberately sloppy. Yeah, the main characters like uh, in order to sort of save time, a lot of animated characters in stop motion have removable mouth plates. Yeah, you can sort of slide the mouth off of the maquette and just put on the mouth rather than have yeah. to animate the entire head. But there's a um, seam between the mouth plate and the rest of the head. Yeah. Sometimes in some movies, they'll CG that out. They'll like polish that out yeah. in post. Uh, here we see characters like sort of hiding that because like it's it links up to like where their glasses are. So you expect yeah, to see but, a line there. But in some cases, we see just a hard lot, like rectangular line around their mouths. Yeah. So I, the filmmakers are doing that on purpose. They're designing the characters to look fake. Uh, and at first it looks really sloppy, but then you realize it was done for a purpose. Yeah. No, the, uh, it's 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 a cute little meta narrative joke. Uh, it's 
clever. It's not mind blowing, but, no, but no, I enjoyed it. it. It's very much just that one office scene from the matrix, but with stop motion animated characters and mm-hmm. a more of a whimsical button at the end. Um, but it's the one that, you know, you said that none of the shorts had that sort of Pixar CGI gloss to it. And this mm-hmm. is clearly the glossiest one we've got. This is the one I, I that suppose, yeah. this is the one that looks like it ha- it's well moneyed. I mm-hmm. think in a way that the other ones don't. Whether or not it, it was, um, and as a result, I think it comes across as the most ambitious. Maybe no, no, not ambitious. Because I would I would argue that my year of dicks and ice merchants and Lang sailor are actually more ambitious in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, more mainstream. Okay, yeah. you know, like it feels like. The kind yeah. of thing you'd see in a theater, and, it, and it's know. British, so it's definitely yeah. going to get compared to Ardman. I don't think it has that it, nearly no. the same sensibility. No, 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 but no. this is a different uh, vibe. Yeah. But yeah, um, so th- this is the one where I, I'm I'm torn. Okay, because this is one of those things where like uh, my, my favorite. I'm really torn because I actually like a lot of these. Mm. Um, actually, I like an ostrich told me the world is fake. I think it's an excellent short. Um, I like the Flying Sailor for its mm-hmm. weirdness. I appreciate uh, chunks of my Year of Dicks, okay. like more than anything. Maybe not as a whole. Probably, I think Ice Merchants is the most striking for me personally. Okay. What, what's your favorite? Uh, my Year, if case, yeah. yeah, My Year yeah. of Dicks. If, yeah. if I didn't make that clear, um, mm. yeah, just I, I loved everything about it. I just love love the whole vibe. I love the whole mood. I, I, but I don't think it's gonna win. Yeah, that's I think the it's question. I think it's a little too out out there for uh, yeah. like Academy voters. What do you think um, is gonna win? I, I think Ostrich is going to win. I, th- yeah. I think that's sort of the, maybe the cleverest mm. of the shorts. I'm, and I really hope it's not the boy. That's my concern. I'm worried <laughs> because... That, that's the most, that's the one that's the slickest. They, they don't that always... That has the, the sheen on it. They don't that's... always go for the most polished, mm. but they usually go for one that does feel polished. They usually don't go for one that's like short and raw. Yeah. Um, so I feel like the best bets are the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse... And an ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it. And I don't know how much credit to give the Academy because they have fucked up on the shorts <laughs> on more than one occasion, yeah. and and nominated and like awarded not just nominated but mm. awarded like irresponsibly bad cinema sometimes. What, what was the name of the um the the skin? Race, skin. Yeah, the one yeah. about the racist guy who was, it was tattooed. It was like yeah. a, it was like a Tales uh, from the Crypt episode, but without like. Without the moral the, the, compass. The, the fun lasciviousness and the actual morality. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just, oh, it's just one of the worst fucking things. Um, it's the thing about those Tales from the Crypt shorts. They're morality fables. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Obvious ones. You're like, I, I'm an evil salesman who, mm-hmm. like, cons people out of their money. But oh, no, I've, your I've, I've bit off more than I can chew with this family, and they're all played by Tim Curry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to get my comeuppance. Yeah. I'm going to get buried in the basement. It's like, okay. I see it all. Yeah, it's it's, it's gruesome, uh, but con, it, the bad con, guy is yeah. the one who gets the most suff- the yeah. who suffers the most. Con yeah. man is is killed, yeah. cosmically killed, hoisted by his own petard. Yeah, um, so I think I'm with you. I think an ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it is the most likely to win. However, I would be very happy mm. if my year of dicks won. I would be yeah. very happy if Ice Merchants won. I'd be happy if the Flying Sailor won. Um, I'll be okay if an ostrich told me the world's fake and I think I believe it wins, but I'd rather those other three, any of those other yeah, three, really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, those are the uh, those are the Oscar nominated shorts uh, for the year. Thank you for joining us on this journey um, again. Uh, if you have an opportunity to to see them, look them up, see if they're playing in your area still. This episode was supposed to go live last week, and then we had to we we actually recorded part of it. 
and then had to finish it like a few yeah, days later. Yeah. So this episode's going up a few days later than we intended. Hopefully it's still available for viewing wherever you can find it. Some of them are available online. Uh, it's a quick Google search. It's pretty easy to find. Yeah. Um, so uh, seek them out. Seek out short cinema and uh, support it when, however you can. Yeah, yeah. And, and there are some really good ones. Um, good uh, overall, mm-hmm. a good varied crop. Um, yeah. The a lot of the trends changed a little this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the document, like the like docs, are a lot the less docs bleak. are yeah, yeah. way less bleak than they've been in previous and years. Thank you. <laughs> as I take it as a personal gift. I can't. I can't take that too many movies about <laughs> child soldiers. It's oh, uh, so brutal. But uh, seriously, it's it, it's a good crop this year. Like a few I didn't like, but overall, yeah. the quality level was like really, really, really high. And so, just kudos to everyone for their shorts getting nominated. Congratulations! And um, yeah, I hope everyone seeks them out. Uh, we'll be back soon with more uh, theatrical movie reviews. We'll also have uh, an episode coming soon where Whitney and I do our usual thing, where we try to predict the Oscars. We'll t- give an mm-hmm. overview of the various films that are nominated. Um, I've actually still got a bit of catching up to do. Uh, even yeah. in some of the major categories, so I hope to be able to yeah, wrap there's... them all up before we do that episode. Yeah, there's a few majors I haven't seen, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to, but yeah. I, I'm happy to say I at least saw all of the Best Picture nominees yeah. uh, prior to nominations this year. So yeah, so I'm, I'm at well, least at least that, in that regard. And, yeah. and honestly, because the Academy gives so many nominations to the same films, if you've seen all the Best Picture nominees. That'll guide you through most of the awards. Yeah, a few a few outlying categories here or there, like the 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 nominees for best cinematography don't match up with best picture hardly at all, which is unusual, very unusual. Yeah. Very unusual. And these are a lot of those are films that only have one nomination in that category. It's weird, hmm. cool, but weird. Um, so we we got a little catching up to do, but we'll do the best we can. And uh, yeah, we'll do our usual uh, predictions. Uh, we'll have an, our, our informal uh, uh, little contest. Mm. No stakes, just just fun. Just just for funsies. <laughs> um, and yeah, anyway, we'd love to hear from you, as always, so feel free to send us an email. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is mm. our uh, uh, real, <laughs> actual, physical... Post, post office box? box? Is yeah, that what sure. you're looking for? Yeah, yeah, if you want to like, shorten it. Yeah. Sure, our P.O. Box. Send us an actual physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. A huge shout-out to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network if you want to join up even for one dollar a month you can listen to shows like this one all of our regular shows without any ads you Mm. also get uh our various podcasts at different tiers every tier gets you different podcasts so uh we have a podcast right now that is dedicated to all the step up movies and when that's over we've got plans to do all of the godzilla movies it's very exciting (laughs) Uh, we have a podcast dedicated to every single film ever nominated for best picture We've got a podcast dedicated to every single episode of Star Trek in order. We do commentary tracks. We do Discord hangouts with some of our patrons. It's a lot of fun. Thank you to everybody who joins us. We couldn't do this without you. Uh, And uh, yeah, if you can afford to, please consider joining us. We'd really appreciate it. And if you can't afford to, please leave us a review. Uh, Even that just helps wherever you find us. Apple, Spotify, wherever. Um, It just helps push us up the algorithm and lets other people find us Mm. for the future, which is nice. Um, anyway, and also if you uh, want to support uh, the soap store that I run with my partner, um, run we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash saltcatsoap. That's a soap of the month club. But if you just want to buy a couple of soaps, you don't want to get a soap every single month, we now have a Ko-Fi store, ko-fi.com slash saltcatsoap. And uh, we sell soaps. We sell uh, uh, stickers with our cats on them. 
we sell uh, books that were written by my partner M. Lapis da Silva and signed by them and you can uh, head on over there and check that out so thank you to everybody who has thank you everybody who will thank you to everybody just for being you I never forget everyone's a critic Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.